0: Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We are on another podcast today, number 91. We got Sir Watts, Mike Watson, joining us today. Mike, how are you?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Jeff.
0: Yeah, man, this is great. You know, we know each other for for many years. I think we've both yeah. been in the poker uh, community circuit for, I don't know, how long for you, 20 years, 15, 20 years at least?
1: And yeah, it's uh, probably about 15, 14 years maybe playing live and playing poker for yeah another two or three on top of that. So it's yeah. uh, it's been a long time. <laughs>
0: It has, it's been, it's been a crazy ride. I think safe to say poker this year is a bit different than it's ever been. I mean, the world's changed. It's been, you know, COVID live events canceled. Online has been pretty crazy. Yeah. Give me a little bit of a a perspective on what, what it's been like for you with this year being different. Cause I I believe you split half the time live, half the time online, roughly, Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but how has the last six, seven months been for you? Yeah, it's been, it's been very different.
1: Obviously it's been a change. Um, I've kind of, you know, normally, obviously, like you said, my year is maybe half the time playing live, half the time at home, playing online somewhat. Um, you know, so I pick and choose sort of the stops that I think are the most interesting, whether it's, you know, place to be or, you know, just the, the best value tournaments or whatever, whatever the criteria are. And then, uh, yeah, the other half of the year, I'm home. So this year, obviously, uh, no traveling. You know, I played Aussie Millions and um, Australian Poker Open, and then that w- that was it. Came home and it was it was all shut down you know um yeah
0: yeah and and tell me tell me a bit you know you did i believe the w coop you know was wpt huge action on party poker you had the w coop on stars which is the biggest biggest tournaments as well for the year generally and now uh, gg they threw on the world series of poker and then there's other sites even that have you know similar good tournaments what was that like for you i mean this is the first time ever i think it's been this this crazy this much how did you sort of deal with that did you kind of how did you break up your time for the sites and 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 pick what to play?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's been it's been crazy. It's been like a, an old school just like online grind everyday situation for me for a lot of the a lot of the pandemic um, a lot of this year, you know, everything, big big games everywhere. you know we've had scoop, wcoop, all the stuff on star Stadium series, whatever. Uh, parties had all the WPT stuff, which, you know, it's mostly just been the weekends, but it's been just huge when it's been going on. GG has been just running huge tournaments everywhere. So those are the three sites that I mostly focus on, but man, it's, uh, it's been a crazy grind. Like there's just been big stuff every day. Obviously the world series on GG was a priority, um, was, you know, just big action, even if there wasn't like, you know, only like one smaller bracelet event on a given day, there was always a bunch of big side tournaments you know, there was always some, something going on on Party or poker stars. like, there's just been, there's been basically more tournaments almost every day than I can really, you know, manage to play, like, you know, I'm not someone who, like, skips, like, $500, good, like, big field, $500, $1,000 tournaments very often, and it's just been happening, like, all the time, where it's just like, oh, I want to play these great, amazing, huge field tournaments, but, like, I just have too much other action going on all over the
0: place. G- give me, give me, um, a lot of want to cover. You 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 have a storied career. I think fair to say you're 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 fairly soft spoken. You're a very humble guy. You know our wife, well, your fiance, and my wife, very very close friends. We've hung out before. You know we I have a good idea about you, but you, I'd say you're more quiet. You know I don't think people know as much about you. You're very reserved, but you have one of the more impressive. Uh, poker careers, I would say. You know, you're, you're not a guy that I see going, you know, being outlandish and on social media, being crazy or anything or, you know, controversial. Mm-hmm. You're pretty, pretty straightforward and just get it done. Um, so I want to cover your career and go into that. But, you know, tell me uh, a bit about your online grind with playing tables like before we dive into all the poker and your career tell me how, how do you decide like you just said how do you skip a 500 million or you know 500k guarantee when that would maybe be a highlight on some day how are you breaking down your day do you play four tables eight tables do you have a do you have a rule how many you'll play do you late register like give me your give me how do you do it because you're one of the crushers online for sure how, how do you get it done
1: So lately I've been trying to keep it to six tables for the most part, whenever possible. Um, especially, you know, playing every day for such a long period of time, like it just starts to wear you down where like you get, you know, you start to notice that I just get really sloppy or I'm like timing out sometimes, even if I'm playing like seven, eight tables. So there's been times, you know, especially on Sundays where I just felt like I can't avoid it. Like I just have to play eight tables and just manage the best I can, which is fine. But, uh, you know, just at the end of the day, you're so worn out from just the constant uh, thinking, just constant decision-making, everything going on. So I I like to keep it in the four to six range, mostly just play six tournaments for most of the day. I find that, you know, that, that keeps me able to focus a little bit more. I'm able to, you know, make a few less mistakes and just, you know, end of the day, I just don't feel like as completely destroyed. I'm not as, you know, whatever, upset or, it's just like the whole day the whole process of the day is, is more enjoyable i find when i'm not like super stressed out all the time
0: so so give give the viewer the people a perspective on what you're playing you play the highest uh buying tournaments in the world live and online i mean online is uh you know there's been some big stuff so give me like a peak Sunday over the last couple of months, like what, how are you, what are you playing and what would you actually be missing for an example of something that would be good value? Like, you know, when there's 25 K's, I guess, are you playing the hundred K's you know, What would it like? When you play a hundred K or a 25 K online, are you literally like, okay, Hey, it's not worth it to play a two K or a five K because this is just too much EV. I want to focus. Or are you still flicking, you know, the, the other tournaments? Like what would be like the, give me your, your most intense, sunday over the last month or two where give me an idea what those six tables would be yeah yeah
1: well man it's been this big so i would say in general i've only been playing the really big stuff like 25k plus when it's like the bigger field guarantees um with you know some exceptions earlier i played like some poker masters and some stuff that had some added money or like rake free stuff going on you know towards the uh, earlier stages but for the most part lately I've been trying to keep it mostly to the stuff with the bigger guarantees, the softer events, just uh, because, you know, less stressful, less big swings. There's just so much good action out there that I don't mind, like maybe giving up a little EV to like have a higher ROI and maybe knock some of the swings down a little bit because it's just been so big. Um, So instead of trying to battle like every super tough 25K, I've been in, you know, I've been in the 5Ks on GG when they're good. I've been playing that 10K every Sunday. That's like, you know, best tournament of the week a lot of the time. I'm um, in, mean, you know, whatever the high stakes W Coops are, I'm basically always in all of those. Uh, although, you know, some of them, when they're only like a 500 or a 1K, like I had to skip a few here and there. Um, although, towards the end, I was doing very well in the, the high stakes leaderboard and W Coop, which is some added money. So, I wanted to try to chase that a little bit. So, I definitely maybe skipped a few like 5Ks and stuff on GG that weren't like as good at that point because the WSP was over just to play more of the like the 500 Turbos and the 1Ks and W Coop
0: right and and tell me so you did finish i believe second overall on that leaderboard is that right. for the high for the high and so what does that get you what was the bonus on that uh
1: it was 10k which is you know yeah. nice little bonus to have added on at the end
0: and and what was first
1: just like 12.5 and a trophy though it's big oh, equity in the trophy you know and that
0: is that is yeah. nice they're hard to get these days i think i believe nasa 14 won that right
1: yeah. You've got him on later this week. Right. So you get to hear him gloat about his victory. Over.
0: Yeah. I, I was, I wasn't aware of that I didn't know if that was the same. I was trying to understand what the the leaderboard, how the difference. So, okay. So basically yeah, the trophies, but otherwise money wise, you both got a nice little, you know, uh, above 10 K. So it wasn't a huge difference. Yeah. So that's good. Um, And, and tell me about your, your speaking of trophies, I know you've won, a, you've won a WPT, a huge 15K Bellagio. Is that right? That was a WPT, the one point? Yeah, seven. yeah,
1: 2008 uh, WPT Bellagio Cup. It was uh, a huge tournament, 15K buy-in. It was just, you know, that was back when all these WPTs were just, like, so big. They were all 10Ks, you know, back in in the glory days, I guess, a lot of people think of it as a... Uh, so, yeah, that was, I mean, that was... It's kind of crazy, you know. It's been 12 years, and I still never had a bigger score than that in my career, right? So... Just Man. kind of insane, like how lucky it was to just have that score so early.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. And you you won a WPT. How many bracelets do you have? Two? Two?
1: <laughs> Is that a troll? No, I got no bracelets yet.
0: Really? I swear. Yeah. I a lot of seconds, that, yeah.
1: a lot of thirds, <laughs> no wins. Yeah,
0: I, saw, I saw it was a WSOP. Oh, in- uh, you're right. I won
1: the uh, 50K high roller at WSOP Europe.
0: Yeah, I just it was saw was a huge it. one.
1: But uh, yeah. it wasn't a bracelet event that year. Really? i yeah.
0: know. no troll. I just they looked it at They made it
1: the bracelet sort of event the following year. But uh, I think they just didn't know, like, Venom was going to play this tournament, basically. You know, they put it on the schedule, and they they thought it might be, like, 10 or 15 people. And I guess I think it got, like, 50 or something entries, 60 entries. Yeah, so.
0: Oh, man. That's that's pretty ridiculous. It's a seven-figure score. It qualifies even on, like, the, the current terms. I think at the the one they did, Europe, they they made it, like, what, 30 or 40 had to be for a bracelet or something so that's uh, i did not know that i mean it says wsop europe that's that's weird they should just yeah yeah it. they oh, had a bunch of side it. events yeah.
1: and this was just a side event all
0: right well one point three million. nothing wrong with that as well another seven figure score and you won the pca uh which i guess would have been technically um does that count towards the triple crown then because it's like as, as it's viewed now because it's changed the name it's not the ept but does that would that technically go towards that
1: i would think so yeah i assume mm-hmm. that i'm just the bracelet shy still but I don't know. I'll leave that to the, uh, to the writers to decide what counts or what doesn't, but I I would assume that it does. Yeah.
0: That's messed up, man. You have a, you have like a, you have like a, that is sort of a triple crown, like an asterisk triple crown. I got to count that. I think they should go back and review that WSOP. But so you have some seconds. I think the one I did remember one we played and I would say you're on my like list of three or four guys that are all Canadian that I just never beat in the pot, you know. They just they beat me. Whether it's a uh, cooler, outplay me, flip whatever. I just don't win a hand um, against you. I don't know if I've ever beaten you in a pot, which is uh, which is tough, you know. Because like you, I'd say you, uh, Radoja. Um, no one's
1: beating Nerdoja in a pot that that just doesn't I, happen.
0: I you got me for a break <laughs> heads up in and, and a six spot but yeah that, they just like you seem to be nemesis uh that was the one you got second i think and, and we were we collided i don't know if you remember that hand you play a lot of poker so you probably don't I have a game. terrible
1: memory honestly you just play so many hands and stuff and
0: yeah
1: yeah.
0: i'm scrolling through the hand mob it's not easy to keep track you know you start looking at uh final tables and deep runs and, and it definitely blends together out of your career i do want to mention your first ever live recorded is a final table which is 96 percent of the people on the show have final table their first ever tournament which i think is why you know if you had gotten 10th maybe yeah. you wouldn't have played poker but you final table you decide to play poker you, you, you run for it. what what stands out for you and your well, funny thing about that first
1: tournament too is um i love it's first as like i got sixth or something for some small amount but uh, i actually like chopped it okay. um for like 40k with the oh, chip meat. Wow um yeah it was just like a daily 1k you know back of the bellagio and uh yeah ended up so that was like a huge score you know like that was like a 50 percent increase or something in my bankroll at the time actually um yeah, i've been grinding online and i think i maybe had worked it all the way up to like 100k or something bankroll which you know was enormous obviously to me at the time and uh i won a wsfp seat so you know i was in vegas I was like, okay, I don't normally play these 1Ks, but you know, they're live, they're super soft. Like, let's get in there. You know, play some of these daily 1Ks. Like, I'm here. I can't not be playing. You know, right. And yeah, I just happened to, uh, to oh, chop. Oh, so
0: that's interesting. So that actually doesn't show because most of, nowadays they do do the chops and it records it usually. But so this was uh, pre pre um, pre that I guess or just early on and and just kind of ran it out. And I mean that's sort of bizarre, right? Because the guy then for tax reasons he's gets he gets shown as 74 you know although obviously everyone's responsible to declare on their own yeah i think everyone just kind of
1: agreed to have it this way and everyone was you know happy with their own tax uh situation with regards to it so it wasn't a problem
0: yeah no that makes sense i think that's that's interesting though i just you know that that makes yeah again it it always is up to the person anyway it doesn't really matter matter what it how it records but it's okay so you get a First score, pretty nice. How did that feel? I mean, that was uh, you had already been playing online at that point, but you said it was a booster, a change. Do you think that gave you some extra confidence in playing live just to, to die? Did that make you shift what you were, your priorities were in terms of playing online versus live or, or how did that make you feel?
1: Uh I mean I was obviously super excited about it. I think you know online I'd had a couple like decent wins maybe like 20k scores or something around that to that point. So it was my biggest uh my biggest win to that point in the career by uh, by a decent amount. And uh yeah I mean I was still in uh, I was in grad school at the time still. So it definitely you know was part of like this whole rush that I was on that sort of made it more obvious that I was like okay like poker is probably going to be your career path like your future you know like this is this seems like something that is going well enough. You're making enough money that you can actually do it.
0: Right. And, and speaking of, well, I believe you're at Waterloo, Mike McDonald, that, that pedigree, yeah. you guys were there at the same time. And uh, tell me a little bit about your early days online how you discovered poker, your relationship with Mike McDonald and, and, and what was going on at Waterloo.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I
0: actually, I started playing
1: um, on a summer summer internship back in Newfoundland where I grew up at the Memorial university there and playing with some buddies just like, you know, it started, being on TV all the time right it was I think 2004 was like when Raymer was on or just after moneymaker all that you know same time everyone my age started playing
0: yeah
1: and uh, so I started playing like you know like dollar games at lunch break or whatever with my friends there and then you know found out about online and got into that a little bit um, brought it back to Waterloo for my last year my undergrad so I uh you know, didn't play much in the fall. I had to really like work hard, get through that. But then my last term was like, okay, I just got to like, I didn't have much of a course load. You know, I was taking a lot of like electives, like easier courses that I just, you know, had put on the back burner to really like get all the math stuff that I was doing out of the way. And so I had a lot more time that term, you know, a lot of applications and things were already submitted. So like, you know, grades weren't as big a priority. So I was like, okay, this is like my term to really play a lot of poker. Um, you know, and I was able to sort of grow my bankroll. I think I maybe had like $5,000 bankroll or something by the end of that term, right? Which is a lot of money to me at the time. But like, I wasn't someone who just like jumped in and was immediately successful, you know? Like it was a lot of, a lot of like slow learning and me being really stubborn and, you know, not not making much of an hourly in the beginning, considering how hard I was working at it. And then, uh, yeah, so then after that, I, you know, had the summer off and I spent a lot of time playing, didn't get a summer job. I was like, okay, poker's my summer job. I think I just made, like, no money the whole summer. I think I just, like, broke, like, dead even. I was like, man, this is really, like, kind of depressing. Like, spent so much time playing and just, like, nothing to show for it. Like, kind of brutal. Then, you know, went back, grad school. And, uh, you know, grad school is nice because you have a lot less. um, It's good and bad because you have a lot less things that you have to do. You control your own schedule, your own time a lot more. You only had like, one or two courses, you know, marking some papers or whatever here and there. But I had a lot of time for poker. So, playing a lot online, and then that's around the time that I met uh, Mike McDonald and uh, and Steve Paul Ambrose as well, who was uh, actually the first sort of program player that I really met.
0: That's the guy I wanted to ask about, too, because that that you guys really dominated the PCA. I mean, he won the main event, I believe, there at the PCA. He, did, yeah. he won the main event. Did Mike also have maybe a big score? Maybe he just uh, via you guys, or I don't know, His I think somehow I was thinking he – he did really well at the PCA in some event as well. But, um, you know, w- yeah. Tell me about that. The triangle, were you guys all friends? How did you meet each other and how did, how did you guys start uh, becoming this, uh, this sort of elite players at this age?
1: Yeah. So Mike, uh, Mike got second actually in the PCA main, okay. uh, I think the year that, uh, Dominic Panko won. Yep. Um, so he may, he got more money for that than I did for my win. Cause it was still 10 K then, but, uh, Control. yeah. So Steve won PCA and then, you know, I, I I was obviously a big um, poster on like the two plus two tournament strategy forums back then. That's how sort of my our little generation of players around that time all came up. We're all talking strategy and, you know, eventually, you know, talking more online and then finally meeting live. Most of us eventually as uh, we continued to move up in the stakes and have more success. Um, so both Mike and myself ended up like messaging Steve on those forums and saying, Hey, I just saw you won. Congrats. Like, Uh, I'm at Waterloo too. Like, let's meet up, you know? Um, And Steve was cool about it. He was, you know, happy to meet everyone. And so I think Mike met him maybe a few weeks or a few months before I did. Uh, And so he had been playing Sundays together in their like basement or whatever for a few weeks. And then uh, after I met Steve, he invited me over as well. So that was, uh, that was sort of where it really started, where I started to have much better results. You know, we're talking poker with those guys all the time and, learning but also realizing like hey like these guys you know there's not like some secret sauce that i don't have like you know these guys are thinking about poker like pretty similar to i am like they're you know more advanced they're ahead of me but like there's not some like completely like huge thing that i'm missing you know like I, i can do this like if these guys can do it then i can learn to do it too um and so yeah that was uh that year was when my bankroll really started to take off i finally had some big scores uh, and then, yeah, leading into like the 2006 tournament, my first world series main event, like I was talking about that sort of when that big progression came from being a guy who was sort of grinding, but not making much money to like guy who was building his bankroll and playing the main event.
0: Right. And that, and what year was that? Was that, oh, that was 06 then?
1: That was 06 was my first main event. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you go to Vegas. That was, was it your first time in Vegas.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And did you do your hotel? Did you get a house? Were you out there with friends? How did Just had the hotel that
1: came with the uh, the main event package. So I didn't do the whole series or anything. I was just there for like the 10 days around the main event. Um, had, you know, a room at the Monte Carlo or whatever PokerStars, you know, it's one of the cheaper ones that PokerStars was giving qualifiers back then. And yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to book my flight, stay for the whole thing. And if I'm out of the main, then, you know, hopefully find some other tournaments to play that weren't really like post them events like there are now. Right. It was all, the main event was the last event that year. So it was playing a lot of like the dailies at the Bellagio and just, yeah, trying to meet some people, you know, it was the first time I really met like anyone in person from the forums outside of Mike and Steve. Right. So,
0: right. Yeah, um, very, very cool. So you hit the score, you get some, you get, you boost the bankroll. You get some live experience. looks like you didn't cash the main, but overall successful Successful summer, you you you, uh, you go on and then so now you go back um, and you were just was it mostly online? You were grinding. Did you play cash? Was it only tournaments for you? Yeah, around
1: that time, I think I started playing a lot more cash. I started feeling more confident in my game and and dabbling in there. Uh, so yeah, I made uh, a good amount of money actually playing like mid, you know, five ten to twenty five fifty cash for a while there in like games on like smaller sites and stuff where they're really soft. Um, but then still mostly, you know, focus was still primarily on tournaments. So, you know, eventually I realized that, you know, I gave up on the dream of finishing my master's, realized that I was killing myself, that this wasn't going to happen. And then, uh, you know, I had made plenty of money at that point where I realized, like, okay, like I can do this poker thing full time. Like, I might as well take the leap right now.
0: And so you actually, you did, so you, did, you left school then or you were, you finished, you were... Dead? Yeah, I mean, I
1: was like two years in my master's, so I was supposed to be done. I just wasn't getting the work done because I was always sort of thinking about other things. And I wasn't trying not to play too much poker at that time. But even when I wasn't playing, I was still sort of, you know, thinking about it, you know, talking hands, reading strategy, whatever, like it was, that was a part of it. And I also just didn't really like love the work that I was doing in my, in my master's thesis. So it made it hard for me to really feel motivated, you know, and it's, it's kind of weird to be plugging away at something that you're not that into and you're not motivated to work on when like I could just do poker and like, I'd be like working whatever, like 80 hours a week and just be like, this is great. Like, I love doing yeah. this. Nothing else I'd rather be doing
0: right now. Exactly. And, and where did, um, where did, how about a family? Where did they fall into family, close friends? What were their thoughts on this? Uh, you know, it's almost like the movie 21, right? You're meeting, you got a couple friends, you're in college, there's money, it's excitement, you're going to Vegas, you're in the mix. How were how they like, Oh, this is greater. Hey, I'm not finishing school or I'm doing this. Like where do they stand on that?
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't really tell my parents I was playing poker seriously at all for a long time. I think, um, after I finished my undergrad, I was at home for that summer trying to play a lot. So, you know, I couldn't really hide that I was just at the computer playing on PokerStars like most of the day, you know, they, they kind of figured it out. But uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And at that time, you know, I think they were a little skeptical. I wasn't really making much money at that point. You know, I made like a few thousand dollars. So, you know, my, my goal was to maybe make like 20 bucks an hour or something all summer. And then hopefully like build the bankroll and and learn a lot. Ended up making yeah like zero dollars an hour, like I said, But uh, I think they were very skeptical at that point. But my parents are definitely, I mean, they're both university professors. I think they both know that I'm very, like, you know, smart, capable person at that point. And uh, they had a lot of faith in me. And then obviously, you know, later on when I started to show, like, oh, I'm having all the success at it, I think they realized, like, okay, like, this is a bit different. But, like, you know, we trust your judgment. We think you know what you're doing. So they're very encouraging. And, uh, you know, they're definitely, I think, not, there was a lot of pressure on me to finish the, the master's degree with both my parents being having doctorates and stuff. Like I felt like the academic path was sort of like the default option for me, basically. Yeah. So not finishing, you know, the graduate degree was something I was really concerned about that. Like I didn't care that much, but I was like, they're going to maybe look down on me. But, you know, at some point I actually had a conversation with them with my mom she was like, you know, you don't really want to be doing this. If you want to chase the poker, like we'll, we'll support you. Like you know, that was just a really like important thing I think to hear
0: and exactly and safe to say now though i mean i'm sure they see you playing the highest stakes in the world your guard is one of the best in the world um are they i'm sure proud do they watch you when you're on tv do they do they sweat do they log into the clients and and sweat any of the tournaments like how involved are they now uh so i think
1: they actually follow me a lot closer than i always realized i don't think they're like on the on the clients like watching the game or anything like that you know but they're always sort of you know they always know what I've been up to. They're, they're like following like uh, the Pocket Fives stream, you know, so they, they see like when I have like online tournament caches on like poker stars or whatever. Um, I actually like updated a lot of my stuff there recently so that they would be able to follow it a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, they, you know, then the live stuff and they're always sort of uh, rooting me on there. Yeah, they're definitely like some of my biggest fans and uh, they're always following a little bit more closely than I realize. I think
0: that's that's great and speaking of fans and your, your biggest fan um your fiance tell me how, how is that how is how where did you guys meet and how supportive and, and and uh you know how how does she play a role into your your success with being a poker player also with kind of schedule which is different it's uh good and bad it's it's just a different type of lifestyle how, how did you guys meet and, and how does she support you in that
1: yeah so we just met here in toronto um and, uh, yeah, I mean, she's, she's very supportive, obviously, you know, she, on crazy Sundays and all these grind days, she's mostly like, you know, making my meals and, uh, just rooting me on, like being really positive, like keeping me, uh, feeling good, feeling positive, feeling upbeat about it. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's always a, a little bit of a difficult thing to juggle. You know, how much time do you spend with the poker? How much time do you spend, you know, focused more on your partner and other interests as well? So we're always trying to like keep that balance right, and you know I think during this uh, pandemic the poker has just been so crazy that maybe the balance has gotten a little bit out of whack at times. But regardless, she still you know stands with me and has been really supportive throughout the whole thing, and I think you need that in a partner. You know you need someone who believes in you and who supports
0: you no matter what. Absolutely. Um, No, no question about it. Well, I, I know that she is, she's a great supporter. And again, a great friend of of my wife. And it's always nice to to see her on the stops. And hopefully there'll be some more live stops. What what do you believe is going to happen with live poker and online poker? Let's start with live poker in the landscape because we kind of mentioned all the sites just sort of hammered makes sense, right? People are at home, people want to play big guarantees, some, some pivoting and shifting of series and bracelets online. W- what do you think is going to happen now that all these major sites have, uh, done these huge events? What do you think is the future of online poker here in the next year or two?
1: Yeah, it seems like there's a little bit of a lull right now. Uh, obviously like, I don't know about the ecosystem, like how much, uh, they think it's sustainable versus running all these big tournaments all the time. Um, you know, there's obviously like a lot of pros are probably taking huge downswings. Uh, a lot of the recs like don't have, you know, bottomless money, you know? Um, so we'll see anytime in the past where like the economy's taken a downturn, it's, it's never been really good for, for the games overall. That being said, with no like major live terms, all this stuff going on, there's just so much interest online. Uh, yes. I assume there's going to be a lot more big series coming up. You know, I'm looking forward to hearing when the next uh, the next big thing is announced. Um, but yeah, it seems like there's a bit of a lull right now, which I'm also pretty thankful for. So we needed some time to just sort of recharge. And uh, you it's know, kind of like normal, like
0: right? It's like it's funny because everyone I feel like who's a, a strong player or loves poker or does it professionally, whether winning or losing. You know, it's like fun and you want the action, you want the big stuff, but kind of like you're saying, it's sort of nice because you know, similar to live, it's like almost nice for. A live player or if you're like a very social person but it's busy there's so much stuff going all the time you're worried about missing out whereas now it's like all right i'm not missing anything nothing's going on everyone's at home and then it's like okay nothing's really happening online so i can relax and get rebalanced in my life um with stuff so i mean that's what i hear you saying it makes sense so it's kind of nice to have a little pause uh and it, it's kind of funny because sites sort of prey on each other right they play on each other and they use that all right there's a guarantee here let's do it as well so it's all at the same time um but at some point the sites do need to give a breather and 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 sort of let let things simmer and i think we will see somewhat of a downturn in numbers or just in, in general people sort of uh let the dust clear and see where everything's at uh what do you think about live what's what's your prediction when the next live series will be uh man i don't know
1: i i imagine we're still at least like at least six months off from like a, a live series of some sort. Like it's hard to imagine how they're going to happen until we have some sort of reasonably effective vaccine out there. Right. That like, and like some reasonable percentage of the population has, has received a vaccine or something. Uh, I think ultimately once, once that starts happening, then I think there'll be a lot, the attitudes are going to change a lot and people will, you know, be more willing to just say, okay, like we're going to run this tournament, like come at your own risk. Like, you know, you should probably, you know, be vaccinated or whatever, but like ultimately it's your decision to make. I imagine we'll get to a point like that uh, at some point. I don't know if it's six months, nine months, a year, whatever, but I think that's probably where we end up. For me personally, I'm a little bit more interested in maybe playing like a Triton type of event where it's like a smaller player pool, where they, you know, have the resources to pay a little bit more attention to some of these health concerns and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, a big international event, like, you know, these big EPTs, um, the big party poker events where you've got like thousands of people from all over the world coming, like that's just, you know, all sharing the same cards, the same chips. So that, that seems like a pretty daunting thing to, to start running again, you know? So I imagine it's going to be still a little bit of a while before we get those, those big, like huge main events and series come all the way back.
0: Right. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think, I think that is safe to say and, and like a Triton size tournament or one of the, you know, it is more manageable and, and more, more reasonable. So yeah, that, uh, that, that is something, have you played how much, how, how has, how have you played in, in terms of live in the last, let's say pre COVID, what was your sort of live grind in terms of stops? What, what did you make sure you hit? And, and what were you you know, were you planning on playing that you didn't play this year? That what did you have? Because I know there was a big Triton schedule, Jeju, Montenegro, other stuff. Like, is that stuff you've done? Are you going to be wanting to do? Or, or what's been like the – give me your year prior to COVID for live. Yeah, yeah. So
1: it was – I mean, the events I focused the most on were the bigger EPTs. right? So you've got PCA, Barcelona, uh, Monaco usually, and then most of the Triton events, uh, you know, Jeju – uh montenegro was right after monaco so that was a great little trip uh london was a huge one that was a lot of fun to be back in london again for poker it'd been a while Mm -hmm. uh and then you know the big party poker stuff bahamas um bahamas is the biggest one yeah
0: very cool and what do you prefer online or live if you had to pick a two-week or a month period um to play uh what is what's your preference um, lately, I think I, I like
1: both. I think lately I've been preferring the online. It's great to just get in so much volume. You know, it's tough with live, just playing like one tournament a day or one tournament every couple of days or whatever. Like your results can just be so, you know, can just have no major scores for a long time. And it's just like a normal thing, right? Like you're playing whatever, 50, 100, maybe a little bit more than that live tournaments a year. Uh, it's It's just such small volume. So getting, you know, 20, 30 tournaments a day in online is, uh, is nice, I think. And it's, it's just more fast paced. There's so much action going on, you know, there's so much just sort of downtime live where you're waiting around between hands and, you know, it's cool. Maybe you can talk to some people, whatever, but it's a lot of time that usually for me at least ends up just being like me clicking around on my phone, like not really doing anything productive. Um, so yeah, I like getting the volume in online. I find that, uh, that grind can be a little bit more enjoyable in that way. And, you know, you you blast through the variants to some extent uh, a little bit faster. So I've been enjoying it. That being said, I like the travel. Uh, It forces me to get out there and see other parts of the world. And, you know, I love going, obviously, with Sarah. She loves the trips as well. So, you know, we like to turn it into, it ends up being like a pretty hectic week. Generally, there's just so many tournaments at all these stops. You know, they, they make it so you don't really have an off day really at all. But then we'll usually try to like add something on before or after or at least, you know, find some time to to do some things together, you know, see some sites or go for meals or whatever like that. And, uh, I, you know, I, I enjoy that part of it a lot. So it's OK, I'd say for now, I'm enjoying the online grind a lot. Uh, I find the schedule very convenient, just be able to wake up and eat breakfast and then go play. i um, you know, comfortable, no jet lag, no long flights. That That stuff is cool. But at some point. You know, you're going to miss some of the perks of the travel and of just seeing everyone, too. And like actually like, you know, seeing all these people in person and being able to hang out, you know, on breaks or in the evenings for, for meals or drinks or whatever. Like there's just a lot of camaraderie and stuff that goes along with it that, uh, you know, it's cool. We obviously still staying in touch online with most of these people, but uh, you're missing a little something.
0: For sure, it is. Uh, it is nice, and, and I think that's one of the best things about how it works with the live and online. Is you know during these times, it is. And it's good to get that balance because you do you know do a trip here and there. You get to still play online some, but it can be. I think all one way or the other is not up is not the best way to go but someone's mentioning too it makes a lot of sense about saving money and some of these guys and people that haven't done well not necessarily online are winning you get to save a lot of money with traveling though if you're playing yeah. because like the, the hotels cost money the flights cost money the food live costs money so there is all these other expenses and and time and in sort of in a way uh people are able to get a little more bang for their buck let's say they're losing x percent or roi all of a sudden they're saving you know, maybe get to flick in an extra 1k or 2k or $500, 2k, 3k worth of buy-ins for a trip on some online tournaments. So I think bottom line wise, you know, kind of better for people in that sense. But, um, you know, it, it is curious to see what will happen with, with online. And uh, I did want to ask you with r- real-time solvers, RTS, there was some, there was a, there was a, mm-hmm. I saw about Cruz, this guy Cruz, there was some scandal and showing a supercomputer right. and all this stuff. You now there's, there's, there's no HUDs on party now, which seems to be, the consensus is good you know and that so there's no disfair uh advantage unfair advantage for some people how they're using the salt like where do you stand on this type of stuff and what's your feeling about these real-time solvers bots super programs like where where do you lie with all this on the online do you think this is a threat in the next year two five ten w- with online how do you feel with all this stuff going on with these type of things
1: yeah i mean it's definitely concerning i think um you know, if obviously if like really good tools became very like easy to find, really prolific, that would be horrible. Uh, it, my impression right now is that a lot of the tools people are using are not super good. And it's also, it's not as prolific as maybe some people want you or think, you know, it seems at times right. I don't feel like I'm playing against people that are, that are using, you know, real-time solver stuff that often. Um, it's a concern i'm sure it's happening obviously um but it does seem like some of the the tools that people have are not like super super polished where like you know they don't necessarily have to be obviously like even like a you know a a slightly flawed gto scheme is is probably going to beat most people even except for maybe like the absolute best players but uh it's uh it's, it's a concern more i think in the long term for sure um i think you know for people out there like obviously like all these like gto and all that stuff like you know use the tools study and then you know when it's time to play you got to put that stuff away and just you know play the best game that you can um
0: Make, that makes a lot of sense okay and and where do you what do you think about the huds and real name no no HUD on party and, and real name on party stuff honestly never really bothered
1: me um, i like using it i don't think it's like some huge advantage it just sort of like, honestly, like the main thing I get from HUDs is I'm playing like six tables. If there's a guy who's like a 60 V pip fish, then like the HUD shows it to me and I might miss that when I'm six tabling and not playing close attention. You know, like that is like probably literally like one of the main advantages that I get from a HUD.
0: Um, right. So, so you're not, you're not like the HUDs, you're, you're not like, in there looking at turn frequency bet size it's kind of hard i think that's the thing too when you're playing six eight tables you're not really able to like dive deep under like turns or or super advanced statistics like that's how i felt too i use hud's like pre-flop raise um you know the basic stuff i'm looking at like oh that's abnormal and if exactly your point if you're playing a bunch of tables you might miss it or just miss some low-hanging fruit but i'm not like you know i think that was kind of my concern that people like jungle man let's say who's like a, how they, how they process and use this. They're like, it's very rare to have someone that can deep dive and really pick off super in, in depth stats on people. I think. Yeah. but maybe, I think uh, the other thing too return you're just not
1: playing with the same people all the time, you know? Right. Um, and so the, the people that you, you know, in the high stakes community or like the, the super high roller community, we're playing against each other all the time. We're already all like studying each other's game a lot. Uh, so having like a big database on hands of those people, maybe that could be used in, a lot of ways. And those are obviously the players that would know how to use that information. But in general, in MTTs, you know, you're looking at even people that you play with like pretty often, I think I've got maybe like 2000, 3000 hands at most, you know, against even a lot of these high volume regs from like stars, Mm -hmm. uh, which I guess is about all I'm getting at with stars hands. So, you know, the sample size is not super big. You're not getting into like obscure situations super often where you're going to be able to just like look at some number, you know, in a, in a table and a spreadsheet and like figure some stuff out, you know, if there's some, if someone has like a really obvious leak, it might show it in, in the data. But ideally, I mean, you'd think you, you'd hope you'd be picking up on that stuff anyways, just from like playing and paying attention. Um, so, you know, it, like if someone's just folding the river, like all the time, like maybe that's something that would show up quickly in a, in a database. I don't know, but uh, right. I, I don't so think there's like a ton of, Like, you know, the things people are afraid about, about, I just think are generally not concerned. And especially for the the casual recreational player, like I'm going to play like, you know, maybe 500 hands with you over the course of the year or something, right? Like I'm not going to have some in-depth like strategy or like knowledge of how you're playing based on that.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a good point. I think it is a bit overblown and and I think it's good just not to have it, but I don't think it, uh, don't think it matters that much. And what about real name? Do you like seeing the real names or do you like having the fun, 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 your Sir Watts, and, and your, your,
1: your name? Yeah, I mean, obviously I uh, get some amusement out of the, the things that people come up with for screen names, but uh, yeah, I like the real names. I think it's good. Um, you know, everyone just knowing who you are, especially at the higher stakes stuff, I think maybe for the smaller stakes, like, I don't know if it's really necessary, Um, but it seems to mostly be the high stakes games where it's being implemented anyways. And then it's like, yeah, it's this player, you know, this group of pool of players who all know each other, you know, we all know who we are and like, we're all playing each other. And most of us know each other's screen names. Some of us don't. And it's just like, why give certain people an advantage based on like whatever random, you know, thing or, or you're just giving the people who you know are willing to do shady things even more of an advantage, right? Like you're letting them change screen names, play on different accounts, whatever, uh, so I, I think the real name just
0: levels the playing field. It's just fair for everybody. I like it. I like it. Makes makes sense, too. All right. Well, let's let's take we uh, we do have a lot of questions and I want to kind of run through your career here um, more and, and dive talk. So, tell me the most impactful uh, win in your career situationally to your current. So obviously the first one you get 40 K live confidence kind of, you know, that's nice you get going, give me a a bit like, was it, I mean, it seems like it jumps right out, but was this, was that it when you hit that 1.6 million? Was that sort of like? Yeah. I mean, that was it. it. That's
1: the one that just sort of catapulted me into, you know, being in a place where I had a big bankroll, I could play higher stakes and, you know, was comfortable enough financially after that, that I could, you know, afford to take some, some more risks and play bigger games and things like that. So yeah, that that was that was it. I mean, there's nothing else even close, honestly, in my career. Like that—that's just the huge, the huge moment that uh, that changed everything.
0: Tell me, tell me how ridiculous this is, because if people and even myself, I sometimes have a hard time. Uh, I know you—you you, you really were focused on math and mathematics, which in poker you've you've mentioned too. It's like high school math can basically get you through in terms of the poker kind of math. Um, understanding and processing numbers quickly is an advantage, and being able to be good with numbers, um, but. You know, tell me how crazy this really is. Cause if you look here, you play like one K buy-ins, five hundred buy-ins, twenty five hundred buy-ins, right? Now all of a sudden you go and you play a fifteen K and you take first place. Out of all of these, you don't win one, right? You get second, you have a couple good scores, whatever. Now in the biggest tournament you ever play, you just take first place for 1.67 million. There's four hundred and forty-six entrants. When you registered and played this tournament, was it a satellite? Did you sell action? Like what made you play this fifteen K?
1: Uh well I've been doing pretty well online at that point. So I had, you know, a decent sized bankroll. I mean, maybe like half a million or something. Uh, so playing like the 15K live, I thought was definitely still a big shot, but I didn't really sell any action. Um, don't know, just didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was more willing to just like take risks and stuff back then, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I just had like all of it. And, uh, you know, it was at the end of the summer. So it was like my third World Series It was the first year that I, first or second year that I played every event. I think it was the first year that I was there the whole, the whole time. And, uh, like I was getting massacred like the whole summer. Like I had a terrible world series, um, no results and just, yeah, it was like my last tournament of the summer. I was like, okay, let's jump in, you know, this final one, like try to save the summer. And then obviously like you just, I just ran insane. Like it's, you know, thinking back, like I was, wasn't a strong player really back then. Um, but I mean, just, you know, made all the hands, flopped all the sets, whatever, like all the things that happened, just winning like huge pots left and right sort of thing.
0: And, and when you when you get into, wow, they paid a, a big percent, what, 20%? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, winning this heads up match was like bonkers. Like I'm on like a terrible run right now, losing like, I've had like a lot of seconds this year. And uh, in general, in my live career, also I went on a pretty big stretch where I had a lot of seconds, not closing the deal. So, like, it just doesn't matter, right? Like, I I won the tournament that was literally like second is double third and first is double second for all the money. So, like,
0: what what was going on here in this payout scheme? I actually, that's insane to me because I guess that's sort of how it used to be, but it seems even more crazy. But also, what's up with the 100 payout all the way the same to? to uh 51 like what? Well, this is a very strange payout structure yeah, right? yeah
1: stuff wasn't as like well thought out or standardized back then you know i mean they wanted the big they knew they needed the big number in first place and they want to right?
0: in, in, who get to re-enter or get to get get back in i mean that just seems crazy this seems like i don't really think there happen. was
1: re-entry back then but yeah it was uh no there definitely wasn't re-entry in this you one know,
0: I, I, mean, I mean to be able to like keep in their series and their events like they want to keep the money in the system but this is pretty extreme i mean this yeah is, i mean like, this you know, is right crazy. in
1: the beginning of the old days before they realized like this stuff was not sustainable you know like every tournament was just some giant 10k And Bellagio, always trying to like build their reputation, their brand as being like the most prestigious place, like the home of high stakes poker. So they had the, they had the 15 case, you know, like that was their little extra thing that they did to try to say, Hey, we're Bellagio. Like we're, you know, we're the top tier. Right.
0: Right. So, so yeah, tell me, so you run well, you get down there. Is there any hand that jumps out in particular? Was there a moment when you registered the tournament? You're not having a great summer. Is there like, did you, did you come on time that tournament? Did you, Were you off your phone? Was there anything that stood out to you that you just, did you, when did you know you're going to win that tournament? Like what, what, what went so well other than running well, do you remember being hyper focused or just like make any crazy read fold? Like, is there any hands that really jump out that were pivotal? There's a few things I remember.
1: Um, yeah, largely like building the stack. I was just running really good. Uh, you know, just making hands and, you know, getting paid off, whatever back then, um, was just, you know, a big part of my game plan basically. And, uh, I do know I ran like a big bluff on like the final table bubble with just completely like nothing, like, you know, just had like, just decided I was going for it. And, you know, it wasn't really concerned what my cards were, sort of thing where I I think I got, which one was it? Was it John Pham? You probably have it up there, but.
0: There it is. David Pham or John Gale, one of those guys.
1: No, no, it was, uh, yeah, John Pham who got fifth. So I just like ran some like, you know, I just like three-bet him with nothing and like barreled the flop, um, you know, just like bombed the king high flop and got him to fold queens or something when I just had like nothing. Uh, that yeah. was a nice pot, um, you know, not not a very well played hand in retrospect, but whatever my, my reputation or my image at that point was been like pretty nitty i would imagine i hadn't probably shown down a bluff for like days i just kind of like hey look i flopped the nuts again guys um so i got one of those through and then uh yeah the final table i just had all these crazy coolers where it was like queens against ace king ace king against queens like all this stuff like played all these like huge races where like the runouts was like i flop a set the opponent turns a straight i river a bow like all this is you know, like made for like stuff, you know, like just completely insanity, and uh, managed to win, you know, enough of those that uh, took it down.
0: It was your turn to win, okay? So you hit the.
1: Yeah, one- I mean, everything just went right, you know. Like I couldn't have lost basically. It was just like constantly dealt coolers that like you couldn't really mess up as long as you put the money in. <laughs>
0: well nice doesn't and matter how you get it done. Not the money <laughs> you, you you get it done you win and then all of a sudden so what was this like because i mean this is world poker tour was it televised i imagine right it's a 15 yeah. million televised you win i mean what 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 happened like you went from i mean and this is you had the majority or all of it or whatever so huge score huge uptick is this just like you know how are you how are you dealing with that success you're in vegas you win millions of dollars playing a card game The the dream and you're you're you know what are you third 20 early 20s 23
1: or 25 24
0: millionaire confirmed millionaire at 23 and you're just on fire like what was that like i mean tell me about the night you won did you do any crazy purchases like what was that like give me that experience
1: uh man so i think the one big thing i look back in retrospect is just like you're in the moment and you're just trying to like deal with everything that's going on you know especially like during the tournament like i was definitely like super like nervous and stressed out but you know you're just trying to do your best to, like, stay focused and play the best you can, you know, wasn't sleeping a lot every night, like, just too much adrenaline going, you know, getting kind of like, in Vegas in general, I always kind of felt, especially back then, I never slept well. But yeah, uh, just like, you know, exhausted, like, just just trying to, like, not screw it up, basically, you know, like, trying to keep playing your best. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, my sister flew, I flew my sister into town for the tournament uh, lots of like, you know, had met so many people at this point. Uh, so I had big, big rail, lots of like, you know, guys that I think people would know, would recognize now were on the rail and, uh, you know, never ended up doing anything too crazy at that point. Honestly, I was so exhausted. We just like went for food and a couple drinks. And like, I think I just wasn't out too late. Um, like basically I had to take care of a few things with the money and then just, you know, that was it. Like I was going home the next day or something. So, uh, yeah. nothing like super, crazy happened that night and I think it just took some time for it to really like sink in you know like every year goes by and I'm like man this was even more like a, like I knew it was a crazy thing but like my biggest score at that point was maybe like 70k online mm-hmm. um, and so I was just kind of like oh I finally had my big score my big win like great but I didn't understand like how big it was you know like lots of people had their big win and it was like 500k 600k it's a huge score but like 1.6 1.7 million is just like It's like three times, you know, like it's outrageous, like how big it was.
0: It's different level, not to mention a lot of the times on some of those bigger scores, people have are staked or they're backed or they have pieces out. So if you actually, you know, took the lion's share, all of it, you hit it, you bink it, and it's sort of like whoa, you know. Like you just don't really expect, you just you don't know because you haven't done it before. So it's sort of uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. So that's huge. And then what? what? What was your after you let it settle? You go back home. What was the plan? You're like, all right, I'm gonna attack the live circuit. I'm going for it. Am I playing more online? Did you jump up stakes right away? What What did you do uh, overall with the game plan when you had that big increase?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the plan wasn't to change too much. I guess. Uh, I mean, obviously, keep moving up in stakes was something I wanted to do. Uh, definitely you know play higher stakes like cash and stuff online um, see you know see if I could compete in those games uh, and then play higher stakes tournaments I think I played that um, 20k pound high rollers I think uh, yeah in London shortly after like, that fall which is not something I probably would have been able to play if I hadn't had that score uh, I got like a third or a fourth I believe so
0: second, second. oh yeah the third. So, you're right you're right you're right so the, the heater was
1: real and then yeah I just played a lot uh, just kept playing. I mean, that was it. You know, I think, uh, I felt a little bit less maybe stress and pressure, like having had like, you know, achieved my primary goal, I think in like good and bad ways, you know, it was like, it was good in the sense that, you know, a lot of this pressure was off and I had this huge goal, I achieved it. But then at the same time, there's a little bit less drive to feel like you have to keep like always trying to, to work like super hard. And then I think a big thing that happened for me after that was I started to realize, okay, like I've had all the success in poker, like I'm doing pretty good with money now. Um, you know, it's it's time to find a little bit more balance in my life. Like poker's just been this all-consuming thing, you know. Like I'm, it's all I do. You know, I'm I'm playing, I'm thinking about poker, studying, I'm talking to my poker friends. Like I need to, you know, get healthy again. You know, like I've gotten into a lot of like really bad habits. I need to, you know, get out and start socializing again more, and uh, you know meeting people, doing all these things. So not just talking to my poker friends all the time as much. So that was a big thing that came for me afterwards. It was like, okay, like I've, I've achieved these goals. Like, yeah, there's a lot more I want to do, but I also, you know, kind of realized that like just like being successful at poker wasn't going to be enough to like have like a, a really happy, like fulfilling life that I wanted. So um, I definitely, you know, big changes for me after that were probably just like starting to like eat better exercise regularly. Like, get back in shape. You know, like I was probably like, I think I was like 205 pounds or something when I won that tournament in 2008, you know, I'm not a tall guy. Like that's, that's way too much weight for me to have on. Um, so it's just like a lot of like stuff like that where it's kind of like, all right, like you've had the success in poker now, like, you've been like sacrificing everything else to try to do this. Like now you got to like focus back in on like having a little bit more of this balance
0: right get get everything back and check okay so all right great success you hit that you just now you're, you're on fire yeah the heater's real you bink another score kind of go over, along you're playing online doing your thing you have another score 2012 1.3 million which again that's wasn't i wasn't trolling you at said world series <sighs> no reason to believe that was not a, a bracelet um but you're so forgiven, you're forgiven. Yeah, you have that. You have that score. You have a you know twenty five. Another big score, four sixty two, and then you do the uh, the Waterloo special, right? You win the the PCA for which is what all you guys do there at from Waterloo, and or you have another big score, seven fifty. Uh, and there's the seven twenty eight PCA twenty sixteen. I think this is one of the last years, or maybe it was a what was it? if they put it down to a fifty three instead of a ten k, maybe the first or second year of that. Yeah, first year um, of that. But you take that down. I mean, what does thousand entrants or something nine hundred twenty eight entrants. Tony Gregg, not a bad player himself. Um, Phil McAllister. There's some some tough competition. What what was this like? I mean, this is this is an, a star studded uh, final. A lot of great players down the stretch here to win. What what was that one like to get that done? How how did that rank in your your tournament wins?
1: That one was I mean incredibly satisfying. Uh, like I had some big monetary scores and stuff in there that you mentioned, but mo- a lot of those were in like big buy in events. You know, it was in twenty five k's. It was in you know, even some 50 Ks and stuff. I've been playing a little bit where, you know, I got like second or third or whatever, and it was a huge amount of money, but it wasn't like I beat some huge field. Right. So there's, there's something special about like winning a main event or final tabling a main event. It's just a lot more exciting. Um, You've probably got a way bigger piece of yourself than you do when you're playing these high, super high rollers and stuff. Uh, So yeah, being at that final table was, it had been a long time, you know, it had been, what was it? It was 2016, right? Or. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, eight years since I'd won uh, the Bellagio and uh, it was, it was really special to be there, especially like you said, that the Waterloo connection at PCA where everyone had done so well there, you know, it was one I really wanted to win. Uh, and then, yeah, that was, that was a crazy tournament. It was my first really like super big score in a while. Then uh, there's a hand you can find it online where like, I just like called down this crazy Brazilian guy with one pair for the win this enormous pot and like give me the chip lead with like two tables left. Um, you know, it was just a ridiculous hand. Yeah, this guy Leonardo. He this guy had like maybe like twenty five percent of the chips in play with like fourteen people left. Like he just had an outrageous stack, and then didn't make the final table, right? Like, um, but he was he was going for it. Um, to his credit, I mean, so yeah, I mean, I was pretty short stacked, and I just like you know won a cooler pot and doubled up, and then I immediately after that. I just called off on the river like am i just gonna torch all these chips to this guy like what am i doing
0: was there a <laughs> and, library there just just based on what was the sort of uh situation there because uh, those are i mean those are tough spots right like just to be wrong or to, to make a hero call in a huge spot what, what was sort of the dis- determining factor there
1: there were a bunch of things um so it was like a four-way pop where i was the pre-flop raiser and he had defended in the big blind and it was like six four two rainbow and he just like Bet huge into everyone out of the big blind lane. Led huge. I had pocket sevens. I called. Everyone else folded. Uh, turns a three, and he just like pots it. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa. so the weird thing that was going on in this hand is he had just been moved to my table. So we have no history at all. But like my, I had talked to two or three different people throughout the tournament, who had, like my friends who had played against him. And they're just like, yeah, this guy's like going for it, you know? Like he's not he's not afraid. Like he's, he's putting the money in, like he's running the big bluffs, like whatever, you know? So anyways, like with sevens, you know, I've got the gut shot. Like it's got to, I figure it just has to be one of like, you know, the better hands to continue with. Like if I have like eights or nines or tens, I just have to fold. But, but sevens with the little gut shot, like, I think, okay, like I probably, probably got to peel one and the river is like a Jack and the backdoor flush draw gets there <laughs> and he just goes all in for like pot or something. And, uh, I don't know. Like, I just knew this guy was, like, a stone wild card. And I just got into the river with, like, a reasonable enough bluff catcher where I was like, man, like, why is he just, like, potting it twice if he has the straight? Like, what does he think I'm going to call him with? Like, we have no history. He's got no reason to think that I'm just going to, like, make some insane hero call here, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense, really. I had the seven of, like, the suit, which was an important consideration. I kind of thought, like, he'd be more likely to just go pot pot if he had, like, seven five for, like, the the extra high straight. Right. So, like blocking that one, I thought was like kind of a consideration, even though, you know, like
0: I'm right.
1: Whatever. I, I just basically got to the river and I was like, man, I think this is like an okay hand to call with. And I think like, this is just like the guy where I know he's crazy. He doesn't know that I know he's crazy. Like, I think I just got to like close my eyes and like stick it in here and just hope it works. You know, like, yeah, seems like the spot to do it. So, I mean, it took a long time for me to convince myself of this. And I was kind of like, you know what? Like, I think this is, this is just it. like whatever he led the flop with, like, I was pretty sure it was some nonsense hand that he just like led the flop with, you know? And then, uh, man, on the river, I was just like, whatever, I'm, I'm just going to call this guy because like, I think like if he gets to this river with any hand worse than mine, he's just like always, always bluffing. Like he's never giving up, right? Like he's got some <laughs> random one pair hand, like all the money is going in like every time. And I just got to like pray that yeah, that's did, what's happening.
0: Did he table his hand or is it a, yeah. King six. So he just yeah, had top like, pair. that like, like, barely, barely, flopped. barely had them. But, wow. Pretty so sad. I don't know. Even to
1: now, I'm kind of like, I don't even know if this was really like a good call down or not, you know, like it just kind of seemed like a weird situation where I was like, well, I can't fold the flop. I can't fold the turn. And then I get to the river and it's like, well, I think now that I'm here, I might as well just like, hope
0: for the best that's 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 like that's such a small it's so crazy right because it's like your friends tell you this and like he just shows up with somehow a backdoor like legit flush or you know gut shot in a flush or yeah Yeah. he could just be a
1: guy he would just go pot pot with the 5 there. like i don't really know you know like right it's it's, it's very possible i think it's like it would be unusual for like an amateur player to sort of just like you know usually they're thinking like okay i've got to like try to like trick this guy trap him keep him in a little bit you know like and then there was a the right. timing thing. Like he's just like immediately just going like pot, like immediately he's, like all in on the river. Like as soon as the river car hits, he's just like all in, and that's all been like a a pretty yeah. strong tell that someone's yeah. up on something. A little funny, you know?
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. So yeah, that big big pot, and then from there you just kind of kind of took it down. That's exciting though. It's nice to to win with the. It's always nice. You cooler people or, or win a flip, but it's nice to make like a. A real poker hand that, that sort of uh, catapults you to a major title so that's very very cool and and yeah and again the roi ridiculous right 928 people 5k it's not like 100 or 50k buying so hitting a hitting that score obviously i'm sure 100 of yourself maybe some swaps for fun but you're yeah. you know it's 5k in the scheme of what you're playing it's on the lower end and uh to get the big score very cool and then uh, from there so you hit that score and then what anything change or at that point you've been obviously you've got a lot of scores you're cruising does that did that change anything or was it a it was it a big uh big win situationally in terms of just what was going on or just kind of all right that was nice that's a nice roi tuck yeah that
1: away. was a big one i think i've been like downswinging live a little bit leading up to that so that just sort of uh got me back on the right track basically you know it was uh it, it's it's tough obviously playing all this big stuff live like you go through these big downswings and then you know, you, you know, eventually, or you loosely hope eventually this big score is going to come. I mean, it it should eventually keep playing well, but until it actually happens, it's uh, you know, you breathe a big sigh of relief, I guess, when you do finally sort of like think that big one, you're like, okay, good. The last like year or two was, was all worth it now. Like I'm back, I'm back in the profit where I'm supposed to be for the last couple of years. Like, great.
0: For sure. And how do you, how do you deal with uh, downswings with variance? Because I think that is one of the hardest things for everyone to cope with or understand is whether you're a world-class player, you know, a break-even player, a losing player, um, you know, it's easy to kind of, because of variance, not be realistic with what's going on. So how do you, how do you kind of deal with that? Like, how do, and how do you, how do you tackle that? I would imagine you have a better grasp than most you understand it. You've dealt with it. You've been doing it a long time. You know, how do you sort of wrap your head around that? with the variance component. Cause it's easy if you're winning, like you could be winning and not playing well and you could be losing and playing well. So how do you sort of, um, sort of keep, uh, keep an eye on that and make sure you, you are playing your best.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I think for anyone, even like, I think I'm probably one of the more naturally maybe even keel players out there on the tour. But, uh, I mean, even yeah. for me, it's, I still get like upset, tilted, whatever, like all the time when I'm going through these downswings, like it, it's still a tough thing, you know? So it takes a lot of practice it's a lot of uh you know just trying to think about it i guess really rationally and just constantly like assessing your game you know you just need to be brutally honest with yourself and just be like you know am i playing well am i making the right decisions or is this getting to me and you've got to find a way to like really like look inside and say okay you know this is this is what's happening you know i'm definitely been times in my career where i was you know realized like man you're just you're just not playing well enough for right now you know like you you haven't been working hard enough. You've, you know, prioritized other things for a while. That's fine. But like, you know, you you need to get back to work and sharpen up your game. If you're going to keep grinding at these stakes, you know, and that's, that's the thing that I think happens to everyone at some point. It's hard to keep that, that motivation and that work ethic at like a hundred, like, you know, year after year, after year, there's going to be times where, you know, you're super gung ho. You're like, okay, let's do all the poker. Let's do all the work. And then there's going to be times you're like, you know what? Like I still love poker, but man, I'm a little burnt out. Like, You know, I need to take some time, keep that balance in my life. And then, you know, just be realistic, you know, when you come back, like, okay, am I a little rusty? Am I, do I need to, you know, get back in, uh, get back to work or what's the situation? You know, we'd love to all believe that we can just play and then take a break and then show up. And, you know, we're just all so good that we can just like show up on any given day and like be winning in the field, you know, be winning in the game. And it's not always true.
0: Right. Well, this is this is what we have to dive into because um, I know there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of different uh, trained school of thoughts. What separates you, Fedor Holtz, uh, you know, Mike McDonald. Um, I could name a ton of other guys, like the best, the, the, you know, Alex Foxons, guys that you see, we could name 50, 100 names, right? Guys that are either crushing at the moment or in the last year, two, three. Um, you know, of course there's heaters and there's luck and there's other things that when you see these Bonamo type runs, Fedor type runs, Dan Coleman type runs, where you just like, wow. You know, I think Bonomo was what? He was on the top. 40 or 50 of like the all money list from that year, from a year or two ago, right? With sports athlete contracts or whatever. I mean, winning the 20, 30, 40 million in a year, whatever it is. So, you know, obviously at this caliber, this level, there's not a lot separating one guy from another, right? But there is, there is, uh, there is obviously something separating them from the others. What do you think, speaking for that kind of names, yourself included, what separates you from a good player to be elite? uh let's start with that before I start asking five questions. All what right. do you think I'm James Timex
1: in the Fedor category? I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but no uh, right.
0: Timex is a he runs <laughs> uh, poker shares and then hangs out and and just and, and just you know prints and wins prop bets. So I've done Timex, I don't think has been studying a ton. I'm sure he's up to date and, and can hold his own. Actually, we played heads up in a tournament during quarantine, he, he of course won, and he of course. uh you know, he can still get it done. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. forget for all those guys, the guys that are considered... Yeah, a, yeah. I
1: don't know if we're quite in that top tier with those guys yet, but... Uh, yeah, more, I'm, would,
0: put you there. I'm putting you in there regardless. So, okay, so right, from right. your level and above, oh, let's, let's say that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I think for, you know, everyone, it's always an element of luck whenever you see, like, the crazy run like that, you know? Um, I think it's always something that's actually very interesting to analyze, you know, as a player, to look at and say, you know, what is is this guy doing something a little bit different? Like, might there be something I can learn in terms of like play style uh, in terms of, you know, just the way he's playing and success or is it just luck? So it's always something that you, you know, you're, you're looking at as a player, you'd be stupid not to look at it and try to see if there's something you can learn there. You can't just dismiss it as luck. Certainly. I think some of these, you know, whoever has the biggest run every year, like, you know, it's largely luck, of course, you know, like someone has to be the luckiest player in a given year. And, you know, whoever it is, we're probably going to say, oh, they're so good. And, you know, um, they're doing something different. They're on the next level. We want to believe that we have more control over our results and our outcome than we we really do. So, and it's, you know, more fun to make these these stories and these narratives and stuff, of course, for, for people that are watching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also like these guys, I know like Fedor and Justin, I know are both guys who have worked like extremely hard for periods of time where they've, you know, gotten in there. Um, usually I think you know, in most cases, probably with like a lot of like solver tools away from the table and just spent like huge hours, like studying, learning the game. Um, and so, you know, it's not obviously entirely a fluke or a coincidence that these guys are going on these runs, like, right. especially in the high stakes games, like it, it's almost always the guy going on the crazy run is almost always like an extremely, extremely good player. Um, but then who also just gets the luck on top of that. Right. So right. That, that's yeah, then, big thing
0: when you mention solvers and such, like, I guess it's like too, you know, that you could start throwing in some attributes or just skill sets where memory um, board recognition, you start doing these solver type stuff and you start saying, okay. And then it's like, they might not know every iteration of every hand or board, but they like, Oh, this is close. Or I remember, you know, I'm supposed to check grades nine, four suited on ten three, five with what, you know, like you start looking at these things and they're taking these spots and they, you know, that I, I get, I think it is fair to say. And I, what I hear you saying is, yeah, it's not, it's not luck that there is this top echelon. These are guys that are doing work. You know, you are working, you're reviewing hands. You're not just talking with your crew, but you are plugging in hands. You're, you're looking at results. You're running equities and doing these type of things. So I guess my next question would be when you say I haven't been doing the work or I am doing the work now, you know, you're obviously at the top of your game. You finished second in a leaderboard on the, on the big series. You've had great results. You, you know, you've done, you've won major tournaments. You've done work. What is work for you? What is, what is a, what is a typical, uh, ratio of playing versus studying? And when you do study, what, what are you doing? Like, what type of work are you doing to improve your game? Um, without giving the secret sauce, but yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's changed a lot over the years. Right. So back in the day, it was just playing a lot of poker, right? Like it was playing a lot and then talking hands with people. And that's really all it was, um, in terms of strategy, you know, I mean, you look at, um, whatever tools we had available, you'd certainly like to study, but they were a lot more limited and not nearly as uh, you know, so there's always been training sites. There's always been a lot of resources available. And as poker has you know grown and we've gotten more sophisticated, the amount of resources, the amount of tools available has become, there's become a lot more of it and they've become a lot more sophisticated. Uh, so these days, yeah, I mean, most of the work I think is, for the best players anyways, is in, you know, playing around with solvers, trying to, learn how to play different hands, solve hands that, you know, whenever you play a hand that you weren't sure about, like you can run it through the solver and uh, see, you know, what the strategy was supposed to look like, see what you're supposed to do with your hand. Um, But there's, you know, there's huge levels of like depth and detail you can go into, right? Like just like looking up a hand and saying, okay, I was supposed to do this. Like that's, that's not a huge amount, you know, like I think the best players that are able to like look at these outputs and say, okay, this is what my whole strategy looks like. This is what, you know, my range is, his range is. And they're able to sort of internalize these concepts because you can't memorize all the stuff, right? It's not about like who can memorize the most charts. It's about like who can, you know, there's some stuff you have to memorize. Obviously there's a lot of stuff you have to memorize, but there's also a lot of just like learning general concepts, understanding, okay, like in this situation, my strategy is going to look like this and ideally understanding like why, you know, because I have, you know, this range advantage or, or whatever, you know, like just understanding what the ranges look like and understanding the whys I think is what the best players are able to do more so. And then they're able to sort of figure it out in game because they understand conceptually what the strategies look like.
0: Right. Okay. So that's Yeah.
1: That's the big thing for me is just spending time um, studying all these types of things, trying to like figure out new concepts, you know, anytime you can just sort of, discover something in a situation where you can dig a little bit deeper than just saying like, okay, what did my hand do? You know, you're gonna, you're gonna learn some interesting things. And I think that's like the big thing is trying to like learn concepts, trying to understand the why of, you know, why the strategy is this way is the big thing that people at the top are able to do to separate themselves.
0: And and what do you think about the knockout bounty type tournaments these days? Cause this has become a large part. You know, it makes sense for the sites, it recycles the money more. If it's a five hundred or one K buy-in and you get two fifty a knockout and it's progressive, and all of a sudden the buy-in is still big, but it's sort of not as you know, people are getting rebates. Where where do you feel about this? Do you think there's too much of this? Do you like this? Do you think this is what poker needs to have new interactive or you know engaging Formats and you know, they, uh, do you like that stuff? Do you like just pure freeze outs What's your thought on these? Bob? Yeah, I, I do like
1: the knockouts. I think they're they're fun. You know, they're they're interesting. They definitely add some complexity in things where you know, I mean, tournaments are already like very hard to solve. You know, compared to cash games, like there's already so many like little little details. Every situation is a little bit different based on how close you are to being in the money and dynamics and stuff and uh yeah the, the bounties they just add more to it you know it's more interesting stuff and uh so i think it's good obviously like a lot of recreational players seem to really like them which is great you know i think you just you know give the people what they want basically is is always a good strategy as long as it you know is something that makes sense and uh yeah i mean i enjoy playing them i think i've spent more time probably playing these and thought about them more than uh, a lot of the other people out there so i feel fairly comfortable with a lot of the adjustments that i have to make i would say for the most part in terms of bounty hunting in terms of you know just the whole strategy overall i think i feel fairly good about where i'm at like definitely not something that i've like solved super rigorously or anything but definitely have like some basic ideas and i feel like i'm making better adjustments than a lot of the other people so from a personal level too I, i like playing them
0: Nice and and have you done some of the work? Like, I mean, you've obviously said you've done work, but have you looked at some of the courses? uh, Looked at you know different different. uh, There's a few leading brands um, for for courses. Have you done some of their actual work, or have you just kind of talked and studied and figured out yourself, or have you actually like looked through some of the playbooks of these courses online?
1: Uh, I've never really been big on like the online courses and like videos, like learning tools and stuff like that. Uh, Probably to my detriment, to be honest. But uh, I've always had like such a good circle of friends that I can bounce things off of, talk strategy with, that's always sort of been my main avenue of improving. And now that we have so many tools that you can just really go through, you know, like I'd rather just go back to like the first principles, like, you know, solve something if I can. I mean, sometimes there's things obviously like a lot of situations still that the tools don't entirely um, apply to, or you aren't going to be able to give you a comprehensive answer, but generally speaking, I would rather just go to like, you know, the, uh, the solvers and say, okay, like, what am I supposed to be doing here? Like, what's, you know, it's not like an opinion. It's like, this is, this is the right answer, you know? Um, and then from that point on, once you sort of know like what the strategies are supposed to look like, then you can start to figuring out like, okay, like, is there exploits here? Is it, you know, deviations that I should be making against the way that I think my player opponents are playing. And I think that's where you get like that difference between like really good players and like the best players. I think the absolute best players. They know, you know what the GTO strategies look like pretty well, but then they also know, okay, my opponents have these tendencies, like therefore I'm going to take advantage of it this way. And they're like really good at combining those two things. And
0: right. Well, I think that's why poker is so fun. Because I, you know, I was doing the commentary for just online with the whole cards up. Re, you know, as you can't get more recent than the hundred K WPT Party Poker. Watching Adamo, who's regarded as one of the best at the moment, um, he was playing heads up with Ike Hacks, and also, you know, you could been around and played the heavyweight match right there. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch, and it's also interesting because you know, stylistically. These players play different or at the final table. There was you know, Charlotte Goodwin. I don't know if you heard that story. She yeah, got $100 into the 600 k She actually was a river cart away from bubbling Ace King to, you know, four or five or some, someone put pressure and she called and hit the ace. I mean, crazy, crazy, like life changing, you know, story and moment. Um, but so seeing different styles, like who's willing to go. Daniel DeVoris also, you know, regard one of the best, another Canadian, right? You guys, Canada's tough, man. I think they're the best um, pound for pound, uh, at least currently in the world for tournaments. Um, but you know, so looking at players and what they're doing, it's like, that's why I don't think poker is really in trouble because whether you have the solvers like, or know something, people love poker people like there's a lot of ego in poker and also people just play differently Some guys are going to limp 100 some are going to 3.5x some are two you know adamo going super aggressive and, and picking big big sizings in a lot of spots so like there's just like whether what's right or wrong or the book says or the, the gto says i think people do have their own sort of opinions variations and also you know, are doing playing differently uh against each other in spots so it just seems like it's one of those games that people um it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere because it's not yeah. really set in stone. Like people, even if they know there's like a right way, they still maybe make adjustments differently or, you know, it's not just like a, a game like chess where it's like the better player is going to win. Yeah. I mean, I think
1: yeah. the thing, a big thing that happens, like no one can study every situation in poker, right? Like there are some really common situations that everyone has studied. And then, you know, most people play those situations very similarly, you know, plus or minus like some small amount. They've got the same general idea. And then once you get into like the more unusual situations, like people can't study all these like weird like sidelines, you know. There's just not enough time to study every possible, you know, action sequence that can happen like in depth. So then you get back and you always end up playing poker at some point. There's always something where you're like, well, I don't really know what the strategy is here. Like I have a general idea, I can figure it out, but you might be better off in that situation thinking like, well, what is my opponent thinking here? You know when. When he doesn't know where he is, like, how is he going to react? Like, what's, what's he going to be thinking? Is he someone who's going to get confused and, like, just shut down and play really straightforward? Is it someone who's going to just always try to, like, blast his way out when he gets into a tough spot? Like, people still have some tendencies, you know? It's not like it, people are playing like robots. Like, that's that's just not the case, you know? We're doing our best to learn from them, but we still all have our own, our own things, our own tendencies, our own personalities that affect the way that we end up playing the game.
0: Right. Absolutely. I uh, I agree with that completely. Well, I think, I, I mean, I, I see, I think we might have a record here on questions. We have a ton uh, and some of the ones are things I wanted to ask um, myself. So I'll save it for, but uh, are you good on, you need a restroom we good Are we good to knock down some questions? Yeah, let's go. Let's power through. All right, let's get it. So we got, uh, you guys do have a chance to win a ticket, $55. If you are asking a question, you'll be eligible. Um, we've got a a lot. So let's just kind of, I'll just uh, roll through. If anything jumps out of you, you really want to answer if I miss let me know, but let's just start right here. How do you continue to motivate yourself to find small edges in your game when you know you could sit back, continue to be profitable? I like that.
1: Well, I think continuing to sit back and be profitable is not as easy these days as it maybe once was. uh, First of all, I mean, sure. I could play smaller stakes and, that would be, that would be fine. That would probably be easier. Um, but I think if you want to continue to play in the biggest games, you have to always be getting better because everyone else is, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it's, I will say for me, my motivation comes and goes a little bit. It ebbs and flows. There's definitely times where I'm like very passionate, very like, okay, like I, I want to study, I want to get better. I want to learn. And, then uh, there's other times like, you know what, like, I've just been doing too much poker. Like I need a little rest. I need to, you know, do some other things, get away from it a little bit, clear the mind. Um, So I think that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, though, if you really, if you really do love the game, if you're really into it, then you will, you'll always come back. You'll always be like, you know, that motivation will, will return, you know, and then ideally, yeah, when you, when you've got that motivation, you just gotta, you just gotta put in the hours, you gotta put in the work and, you know, ideally you can try to work really smart about it, you know, optimize the way that you spend that time that you're studying and that you're playing and to get the most that you think out of it.
0: And when you do study or do solvers or watch or, or do, how you, do you put your phone down and like lock yourself in a room for an hour or two at a time and do that? Or are you just kind of have like stuff playing while you're doing emails or like how, what sort of like your. How do no, you I think
1: for that? that stuff, you need to be really focused on it. You know, I mean, if you're going to really, it, it's so hard, it's so complicated to, to learn, you know, it really takes a lot of effort and you're going to, you're trying to get any like real like depth and nuance out of it. You need to be like really focused in and, and thinking, you, you know, even if it's just something that you're trying to memorize something like that takes your full attention to do that. But then to even if you're most of a lot of what you're probably doing is like looking at strategies and trying to understand like why understand conceptually, like why you're doing these things and, uh, you know, to do that. It just takes your to- your whole focus to like, look at all this information on the screen. And, you know, it's just a bunch of like colors and numbers and whatever. And you've got to take all this and turn it into like a story, into a thing that like makes sense in your head. And you, you got to be fully focused when you do that
0: for sure where does the name sir watts obviously mike watson where did where did you come up with sir watts for the uh the the name while well, you uh name?
1: yeah i guess uh, just was like a nickname back then you know uh like watts obviously you can see where that comes from and then yeah i don't know i had a few few friends that like to call each other sir for whatever reason don't know uh exactly where that came from but yeah i guess just like university friends you know sir watts just uh just came along
0: right that, that it does it makes sense i get it I, I can see where it all it all ties in and i like the, the play on it it does have a nice ring to it um michael watson you got some other 4.7 million stars the party now with real name i guess they just turned it off or it doesn't show but do you know yeah. how much roughly on on uh line because you've got so i mean if you cross is it always probably over 8 million then i would guess is that right it's like online so you probably over 20 yeah. million earnings. Like,
1: there's a lot of screen names and stuff not on there i guess it's got to be around 10 or something but uh, i haven't really tracked it closely i don't know and and your what about your biggest online score ever uh so there's been a few fairly big ones let me think now i know i won the the 10k eight game w that was probably not the biggest one but it was probably up there um uh, definitely one of the ones i'm remember the most, just because it was you know all the different games and i beat sauce heads up in it which is uh never an easy thing to do obviously so uh, that one was definitely very satisfying wasn't like a big fielder i know but uh I've never had a super, super huge one. I've had a few in like the two to 300 K range. I think my biggest score is probably like, I think I won or chopped or something. One of the the GG 25 Ks when they were running that were, when they were pretty big. Um, I think that might technically be like my biggest score, but uh, right. And then yeah, I had some, uh, some good results in, in some W and scoop events. I think I had a couple seconds in like two Ks for, you know, one fifty two hundred 200 K or something each.
0: Very, very nice. And we have a question here. Would you rather choose one big tournament win with a 10 million guaranteed and a field around 20 K players? I don't know. Okay, whatever. So one to 10 million guaranteed big score or 10 tournaments with 500 K guaranteed. And why I've never really heard a question worded exactly like that. But I guess I get the idea. Do you rather have that one milestone like a main event win um, or you know, I guess, or uh, a lot like just sort of more to dominant where you just win every tournament, but they're a little smaller. Well, what do you think's more?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think if the money was the
0: same, obviously I'd choose
1: whichever one is more money. Otherwise most likely, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think the dominant run where you just like win 10 tournaments sounds pretty sweet. Like I, I'd, I'd be up for that for sure.
0: Yeah. I think that, that does, that, I guess uh, that would definitely feel like feel
1: really good. Like that, that would, you know, the ego would be, uh, would be feeling really good after a run like that for sure. And that's something I haven't really done at least not in a long time anyways in my career so
0: for sure um and we touched on this but asking about live tournament poker change permanently with COVID, or do you think the live turns be back to full size like how long of an impact do you think we'll have before we get back to like the last couple years because it seemed like live poker was peaking i mean it just uh, more stops bigger guarantees every everyone's doing it live poker thriving for sure how how big of a impact do you think this is going to have um let's just say next year and you know, the world series is back to normal party poker does our stops. Things are back in line. Like how do you think we're going to get back to the same guarantees instantly? Or do you think it's going to be sort of, uh, a- yeah, I'm a- not sure. I,
1: uh, I think, you know, like I said, I think we're probably like a year off from like the really big, like EPT Barcelona, like party poker main events and stuff probably being feasible at least a year. Um, or more realistically a year. I mean, I guess there's some ways that we could get lucky before that, but, um, You know, I I don't, I think there'll be, yeah, I think there people want to get back to live poker is my guess. You know, I imagine, you know, people are enjoying the online. uh, They're fun, but I think there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, have been, don't normally play online, who jump into it, play for a while and enjoy it for a while, but then eventually get, maybe get frustrated because they're losing or just get sick of it or whatever. But I think when live poker comes back, people are going to embrace it as long as they feel safe, as long as, you know, there's still big tournaments I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of people who want to get back out there because it's there's nothing quite like it. You know, it's it's a lot of fun and being in that big room with all the players. And when you do run run deep in like a big live tournament, you know, there's, there's no other feeling like that. Like even online, you know, it's it's hard, you know, when there's TV cameras around, when there's the live stream, when there's all this attention, like it's it's something very different from anything that happens to you online. That's kind of special.
0: Absolutely. No question about that. What, what a question here about book to improve or, or a site like, so solver work is, it's a different level of stuff. I think it's actually a little lesson. It sounds super intimidating to run PO and get in there and plug some hands. And it's one of those things you just kind of got to learn, right? You get it and then you can sort of do it. But, um, so someone at home, that's maybe looking to play like $5, $10, $20, $50 tournaments. They just want to improve. They want to, they want to get some basic info. Do you have any book recommendations and or site to sort of study or how would you recommend it a casual rec that that wants to uh, improve?
1: Yeah. I'm not really sure what the, like the best instructional books are these days. I will say, um, they're definitely a bit outdated, but I really enjoyed the, the Harrington on Hold'em volume one back in the day. That was definitely one that I think I got, you know, the most out of, uh, it also depends on the person. I think if your background is very like academic and math and stuff, there are some more technical books out there that are, that are great. Um, or that will learn. But I I don't think that those are necessarily going to be what most people um, are into or looking for, you know, not going to be the best way for the average person to learn necessarily. So yeah, I would say definitely look at some of the training sites. I know, I don't really know um, which ones are the best, but I know, you know, run at once, some of these uh, sites that have really good, like well-known, well-respected pros who've been, you know, beating the biggest games for a long time. Those things are great definitely as you get more advanced um in terms of like beginning i'm, I'm not sure like there's got to be good video content out there that's uh more developed at uh beginning players you know because i think it's important to realize that like the best players aren't necessarily the best teachers you know Like they're the only ones that can teach you the really advanced stuff but when you're learning the basics like you don't need you know the best in the world you know you just need like if you're learning chess you don't need some grandmaster to teach you like how the pieces move right like you just right you can Absolutely. have some like, average player like teach you up to a certain point so and it's more about like how they present the information how they're able to like connect and communicate with you so i'm honestly not sure but i would definitely like look out hopefully there's some recommendations and stuff out there for that type of content on on training sites because i know that's not like you know that's something that these sites are aware of and i'm sure they have uh, good content of that type
0: right uh and we got a question from richard here asking about newfoundland um newfoundland do you ever go back there's players here uh that would love to meet you there's a there's a strong community there apparently of poker which makes sense are you are you in touch with any of that do you ever go back do you do you get stopped in the street when you're back do you sign autographs are you well known there like are you sort of like the, is there any other big name players that have that are from there
1: um not a lot of other big name players i know there's a, a danny Knowsworthy, is a guy who's been was grinding mtt's for a while i don't know if he's still keeping it up as much these days or not, but, uh, he was definitely a guy
0: who on Twitch as well for a bit. I've yeah.
1: Heard. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice guy. It was uh, a good player. I don't know if he's, uh, still playing as much. I think he's got family or something that's more of a priority now. If I'm yeah. not mistaken, but, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not in the street or anything like that, but definitely, uh, I think I'm a little bit known, like, you know, certainly there was like articles in the newspaper and stuff. And, uh, I think, you know, it's often, I definitely like received the comment. Okay. Oh, you're the poker player like that I've heard about or whatever, at least like back when some of my more bigger successes were more recent anyways. Um, so yeah, I try to get home once a year, basically. Uh, it doesn't always happen, unfortunately. And especially now, like it's, it's probably not going to happen this year or maybe for a little while, which I'm, I'm sad about, but, uh, my parents still live there for, uh, nine months of the year, basically. And uh, so that's still, you know, my roots. I still have friends there. Uh, I have definitely met like some Newfoundland poker players and stuff. But in general, you know, the time I have home is just there's just so little of it. And there's so many people that I need to see that I've never really had much time to like go down and like meet people in the poker community and stuff like that. So maybe one of these times I'll be able to.
0: We need a meet and greet at the local Newfoundland club. I think you should do a, do a, you know, stop in at some point, organize it and have a, give a, give a little hello. You know, that'd be, that'd be fun. Would but be I get rough. it. Anyway, yeah. It's it's hard. You're right. You know, you get home, you have time, you have family, friends. And and it's, it's like, it's just, it's just as we get older, I think we realize that's, that's, that is the obvious thing. Time is the most important and there's not just, unlimited to uh, do whatever whenever but yeah so we got a request they're looking for you to, to pop in there so just keep it in mind uh for that richard is asking um what about no limit hold'em other games in nlhe you some s- cool stories about eight games so you've won the, some some w coops you play eight game obviously in the games what's your best game uh outside of no limit hold'em
1: uh well, right now with the whole short deck craze i think short deck's probably my my second best game for sure uh sure it's mostly for me i think the big bet games are the ones where i'm stronger in. so i play a lot of plo um i think even like the games like uh no limit single draw low ball stuff like that i think i i just because i'm mostly a hold'em player i think i just understand like big bet concepts really well for the most part and i'm able to to pick up those games quickly so those games I'd say are my strongest. And then the limit games, I have, you know, some variations that I'm a little bit better than others. Some that I've spent more time on than others. Uh, I'm generally still learning. I honestly, every time I play, I feel like I'm, uh, just still learning things getting better in all those games. Cause it, it hasn't been as big of a priority for me to learn new games for the last few years. Right.
0: And what, so PLL though, you like PLL. That's a fun. Yeah, game. yeah, for sure. Um, and, Someone's asking about the future of your life. That's a pretty, pretty big question. Let's say I did see another one though. What would you like to, if you weren't playing poker, what do you believe you would be into getting into these days or what's some interest now? If like, you know, you could see yourself doing other than poker for work.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, my background uh, was in math and um, you know, if I didn't get into poker, there's a pretty good chance that I would have followed on maybe like an academic path or uh, something related to that. I maybe could definitely have seen myself getting more into like programming and computer science and things like that as well, that are a little bit more practical and applied than, uh, than just doing the pure math. But uh, yeah, was, I think that's probably where I'd be. And even things related to like programming and, you know, I think poker teaches you so much about probability and statistics. And that's such a huge part of the game and of the learning that, uh, you know, if there was something that I'd like to spend more time learning, it would be, you know, programming and uh, statistical analysis and stuff like that.
0: What about sports betting, um, daily fantasy? Does that stuff interest you? I know that's a lot of crossover poker guys have gotten into that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I love DFS. Uh, it hasn't gone particularly well for me, unfortunately. So uh, I keep it as like a, a more smaller fun hobby for the most part these days. But, uh, that was something that I was extremely into for a few years and, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. I love sports. I'm a huge sports fan. Always, you know, played a lot of sports growing up and have always, uh, you know, followed the the Toronto area teams and stuff
0: like that. So, Oh, nice. We had a good, we had nice Raptors. That was a nice surprise. Yeah, man, that, was, that was amazing. That's pretty, uh, that pretty sweet. Um, I a few World Series events to go to a
1: game in, uh, in, San, in San Francisco that summer in Oakland. So, that's awesome. I was really excited about that because, you know, just been following that team so closely and I'm so into like the, the basketball and analytics side of it that it's always been like a really big interest and hobby of mine as well. So, just seeing like how smartly and how well they built the team over all these years, all the moves they made, like I was just, man, I was so fucking pumped when they won.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I don't want to get, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. I'll just say a hobby yeah. I've gotten into in the last two years, uh, picked back up big time is sports cards and collecting, and it's a pretty huh. interesting industry. I think you might have fun with that because of all this kind of similar principles with. You know, looking at upside and cards and, and some of your favorite players and reliving maybe childhood memories also new players and stuff it's sort of got that element of luck and skill and you know you're betting on in a, in a way on how the pro players are going to progress and and pick up some cards and whatnot so i don't know just just a random thought but if you have any want to know more about it i've, I've gotten pretty into it and cool Definitely yeah. have some suggestions and i think it's a it's a fun hobby that's for sure um but uh yeah so current site of choice what's your current site of choice give me give me a breakdown volume i know you've, you've mentioned basically a few uh what, what sites do you like and why do you play on
1: yeah so right now for me it's uh gg party and poker stars that's about it um yeah i haven't really played anything i don't think on another site for a while now although when there are like special events or whatever i'll often pop in for them but, Yeah, I enjoy all of them. For the highest stakes, right now, it's just so much is is based on GG. It seems you know that's where the the biggest tournaments are. That's where the high rollers are. So I end up playing a lot there. Uh, I don't know if I really have a favorite. I think all three have their ups and you know they have the positives. They have their negatives. Neither ones, none of them are perfect. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'm I think they're all really solid options. And uh, yeah, that's my recommendation, I guess.
0: There you go. Got another question. Which level do you recommend for GTO? So I guess you know, if you're playing the lowest stakes, is that something you recommend to just always understand GTO and then deviate accordingly, or do you think there's like a certain point where it would make you just don't need to play GTO or understand it?
1: Yeah, I'd actually probably recommend not getting too into GTO too early. I think to to really like be able to like you you have to. I should have mentioned this earlier. I meant to, but to actually like study. These like solver lines and stuff, and really understand what's going on. You need to already be a really good poker player. Uh, that, that's I think the biggest thing that maybe people don't understand necessarily. Like in order to to get a lot out of studying this stuff, you need to like understand a lot of poker concepts already. Um, so I, I would recommend you know trying to get access to some stuff uh, if you can. Um, preflop charts and things are always like really helpful when you're a beginner. Um, so anything like that can you know just cut out some of the guesswork for you it's really nice but i think there has to be a stage where you sort of learn the old-fashioned way you know you start hopefully watching some of the more advanced like video content picking up you know concepts and things that way um, because you need to be under able to understand and think about poker on a high level already in order to make the most out of studying this stuff otherwise you're just like i said you're just kind of staring at it numbers and charts and whatever but it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to you you know you, you need to be good at poker to make all these patterns and things pop off the screen and be meaningful
0: makes a ton of sense um, got a question here about, let's see, we got Ivan asking, can you imagine your life without poker? It seems that you have won enough for one person's life so you can do whatever you want. So playing poker must be the thing you want to do the most. Um, so taking this question, sort of, sort of, uh, focusing it, is there a number in mind? You just love poker. You know, if you win a certain amount, do you think you play less? Was it, would it not impact you at all? Do you have some goals for that? Or is it just sort of, I saw you were number two, I believe GPI player of the year at one point, number 14. Do you have goals like that? Like, I want to be the number one player ranked in the world. You know, is it just really, uh, at the end of the day, about dollars? You want to have the most money? Um, you know, obviously, like we said, title versus money. You know, you're saying, you know, you want to win the money, which makes sense. But talk to me about what that means, like in terms of goals and targets. And uh, do you, will that affect how much you play?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, definitely like money is the main, the main way you keep score. You know, that, that's how poker works, really. Uh, so in terms of like the, the leaderboards and that stuff, like, I really like that stuff. I like following it. It's a, it's a fun incentive, um, to chase that stuff. So I really enjoy it, but end of the day, it's usually about, um, yeah, trying to make the most money you can, uh, in terms of, yeah, what, what's enough. Uh, obviously, like you said, in the question, I really do love playing poker and it's, it's one of my favorite things to do still, you know, like i try to keep a good balance, but, uh, you know, especially right now where, a lot of the things I might want to do are not necessarily on the table. Uh, spending a lot of time playing poker is great. Uh, so I'm uh, always, yeah, always, like you said, poker is definitely something I want to be doing anyways. Absolutely. It would be very hard to be a successful high stakes poker player, I think, and not enjoy the game. Like I just don't know how anyone could really do that. You know, it's, it's so hard already um, adding in the fact that you're unhappy doing it would just seem impossible.
0: That's, that's uh that, um, I agree as well. Someone asking how old you are, 36, is that right? 35, 36? Yeah, they're in 36. Um, what's the best hand you've lost with? So, like, I guess what's the biggest cooler? Have you lost with a straight flush? Have you lost with quads? Is there any any sick hands that stand out in your career that just were like, wow, you know, I, I lost with a really big hand?
1: Yeah, I definitely lost with quads to, like, a straight flush a few times in Hold'em. Um, I'm pretty sure I lost with a straight flush a couple times now in in short deck just because... You know, you run into so many more strong hands. In PLO, I've probably had some some quads against straight flush situations as well. I imagine. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'd imagine at this point in my career, if there's a if there's a beat you can take, I, I've probably taken it. To be honest. And,
0: and do you, how do you feel? You 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 say you're more even keel, balance, which I agree with uh, from my my experience with you and what I've seen and just know as well. What do you think is? Um, was there ever a learning or a moment? Did you did you used to not handle tilt well? How do you think that you are able to handle? the, the, you know, cause it's not fun walking out of that room. You're in the Bahamas, you get knocked out, you know, yeah, you go to the beach, you're with your fiance, but you're there to win. Like, how do you deal when you take a bad beat or you just, you know, you bust a tournament? How are you able to sort of uh, be okay with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think interesting, like when I was like really young, when I was a kid, I was, I could be a pretty big tilter sometimes over like losing a sports game or, or whatever. Like I, I could really get to me. Um, definitely like a little bit more emotional uh, a little bit more wearing it on my sleeve. But at some point I think I, you know, after a few too many like tantrums or whatever, I kind of realized like, okay, this is counterproductive. Like it doesn't look good. Like you need to stop, stop doing this stuff, you know? So that was a big, uh, a big thing. And I think I developed a more like stable, like personality for a lot of cases, at least as it came to like towards competition. Um, I think that was definitely like a lesson that I learned when I was a little bit younger. Uh, Sorry, what was the full question again? Just uh,
0: about I was just asking about the dealing with bad beats or bad luck. Yeah, yeah.
1: Awesome. So I think yeah, like I said, that stuff pulls over a lot. I think a lot of it's just experience, though. You know, when, when you start playing and these things are happening to you for the first time, like or you know, and it's not all it's it's all kind of new. You're still figuring it out. Like yeah, you're going to get upset. A lot of it is just experience, having been through it before. Um, it's always frustrating to some extent, I think, at least for me. You know, like I, I'm never like over it entirely. You know, if I take a a big beat in like a really high equity spot, like I'm just like, man, like this is brutal. Like, why does this happen to me? Sort of thing, <laughs> to some extent, you know? Um, but I think the thing is like, and like you said, like walking out of the room after you bust a tournament, like I'm still just like my brain is like, you know, angry. I'm not thinking clearly, like when I bust a tournament and leave that room for like at least like five minutes, you know, often a bit longer like it just takes some time before it like resets and you adjust you're like okay this is fine like this is just how this game works i don't think anyone gets over any of that stuff completely uh but yeah i would just say I, i don't know i think i would in terms of people who want to get better at this stuff i'm not sure like what my advice would be i think i'm someone who is naturally just more able to do it i guess for me i just try to like think really like logically rationally understand what's happening to me understand this is how the game works and just try to really like internalize that to some extent, you know, like, I think there's always things in life where like we're scared of something like it, whether it be a new experience or something. And, you know, I've, I've always found that, you know, if I think about it and tell myself, okay, like there's nothing to be worried about here. There's nothing to be scared of. Like this is such a small risk or it's not something that can really happen. Even, you know, from things there as a kid, once you can sort of do that, convince yourself like, okay, this is not actually a scary thing. This is not something you need to be upset about. And then hopefully keep reminding yourself of that. And then really like internalize it to the point where that's like, that's just like your natural way of reacting and thinking about it, you know, instead of, instead of just having this crazy, like emotional reaction, you're able to just sort of think about it or react to it a little bit more uh, rationally. I don't know if that's something that everyone is, is able to do to the same extent. um, But that's, that's, I guess how I've approached it.
0: Yeah, well it's sort of like too to look at the bigger picture, right? Like the matrix or, you know, or this life. It's like, all right, you lose a bad beat, you take a thing. It's like, all right, we're born, we're alive, you your family of you friends, you you have helped you whatever. You start looking at everything, and you start really trying to put it all in perspective and it's it's just easy to get caught up in the game when you're so immersed and you want it so badly that you can think like, how unlucky am I? Or like, yeah. how is this possible? But like- Always perspective,
1: always, always got to keep everything in perspective. You know, that's, yeah. that's what we do as people, you know, we, everything that affects us personally, we blow up to be the biggest thing in the world. And, you know, you got to step back at some point and just say, okay, like this yeah. is fine. This is, things are still yeah. pretty good for me. Hopefully, you know, hopefully you still got a lot going on in your life. Like we always want more, but you know, you got to, try to rein in some of those impulses a little bit, I think.
0: Absolutely. I, I did actually, I was just thinking back to here. This is, this is a hand in might trigger. Remember, it wasn't that big a deal. You end up taking second to uh, actually rents out my place in Vegas, Jared Jaffe. Um, I don't know if what happened to that heads up. Cause you know, I, Jaffe uh, gets it done to his credit, but I would have to bet my money on, on you there. But um, I actually, we got in a hand, I think it was a flip, but I flopped the set. I don't know if you remember this. I had fives. It came like five X and you had a seven, I think of diamonds, or whatever something it was a flip but i flopped the set and then went runner runner and it was just like devastating you know because it's one of those ones where 1400 people it's so deep and yeah, you know, yeah it's so hard to win a bracelet and look
1: those, uh, those 1500s at the world series like when you get deep in them it doesn't happen very often but like i think i've been deep in maybe two of them now i got sixth in one and second in this one i think it was the same year actually yeah and like man it's just so many people there's such good tournaments i mean you can see obviously there were some good players deep in this one but um they're just like it doesn't happen and it's so many people and it just it just feels like amazing like it's just such a great opportunity so exciting when you get deep in like a huge field you know kind of crapshoot bracelet event like it's it's pretty awesome so i can understand why obviously that would that would stick with you a lot like
0: it's yeah no i mean it, it. it's funny too i think it's so easy I, I i've been guilty of this i think we all are you, know, you start looking at hands you bust and stuff and i think one of the biggest pieces of advice i give to people to be realistic to is it's usually not your last hand you know it's a blind on blinds it's it's a jams you know finding spots keep your stack healthy because a lot of time you bust like a coin flip or you bust ace king to ace queen but if you have eight or 12 blinds you know that's not really where the game's won and lost right so it's just so easy to to look at like your last hand or something, but, and also it's dramatic. Cause if you lose a flip, but it, the board runs out in a way that's funky, it doesn't really matter. Right. It's when the money gets in. And that to me is so crazy that so many people have such a hard time with yeah. that. Like, For they me, love the story. They love the beat. They love like, I had a, you know, I had jacks to, to, to ace five suited. And you know, I, I flopped an ace and then he rivered a Jack and like, I, it's just like, all right, well, like <laughs> when did the money go in and cool whatever, right? you know but it's just funny because most people really even unless you're like an elite professional i'd say even like amateur like strong amateurs like think like that but yeah. Like i hear people tell hands and i'm just like kind of blown away i mean i think that's obviously
1: like supernatural way to start especially in the beginning and uh you know i think it's really strange in in certain players uh who are perhaps have a very high profile who you know all these years later still react like that it's kind of like all right like you're you're not a fully functioning like you know emotional like adult here like you need, <laughs> this is yeah. ridiculous that you're still blowing up every time you you lose a 60 40 right like this is this is not a reasonable way to behave in my opinion but right and the other yeah. thing i want to say about this is for me like if i if i get it in in like a standard spot and lose like as long as i played the hand well it, it's not something that really sticks with me anymore generally speaking it's very rare that like i'll get tilted about something like that right. or if i do it like you know, sometimes it happens for really high stakes and then it can be, obviously then it's really frustrating, but it passes really quickly. It's the hands where like, I maybe like made a mistake, you know, maybe I made a blunder even like just really torched it or, you know, made like a small mistake, but one that I probably should have known better than to make. And it ends up costing me. Those are the hands that like really stick with me and bother me and kind of get me a little bit tilted. You know, those, those are the ones that kind of steam you up. At least i I think for myself anyways, and for, I think most like really strong players I talk to, it's, it's more about the mistakes that cost you that, that really like frustrate them than just losing a flip because they're just, you know, you just get so used to it at a certain point.
0: For sure. What is your favorite player growing up? Who was a guy when you first saw TV, your characters of, of the old school days, like what are the guys you loved watching on TV? Or you just so like, man, this guy is, this is great. Or this person,
1: man, I don't know. I guess I never really had like any super like heroes or role models in poker, um, I mean, I guess other than like, you know, meeting someone like Steve for the first time, Steve Paul Ambrose back in Waterloo was like a big thing, but I would, you know, that's not like, you know, like a hero or idol, like the same what, way.
0: What, but, what's he doing now? What's he, is he any, I haven't seen him in poker in a long time, right? Is,
1: yeah. I think he's uh, just, you know, managing his money and raising his family for the most part. It's my understanding. Yeah. I haven't talked to him in a little bit, but uh, he's one of the guys who just like got into poker when it was good, made all the money and then got out and went on to other things. He not many people get to do that so it seems like he's kind of doing it right and living the dream but uh right. i imagine he still must be playing a little bit because you know that that yeah. that passion that doesn't doesn't go away entirely but
0: no you gotta have it. you gotta at least flick it in once a week with the boys or, or have some sort of online something but um that uh that that's good to hear um
1: i thinking back yeah to like early poker and stuff on tv like i guess like you know the mattisau Raymer battles and stuff back in the in the 2004 main event were were definitely something that you know i got really into back then that i really loved um seeing them like get into it away from the table see some of these characters you know um i think we're all sort of i think i got past a lot of that stuff quickly i've never been one who like really like has like a hero or an idol in anything in my life i guess for the most part but uh yeah i loved watching like you know negronu and all these guys like a fellow canadian as well like definitely uh definitely yeah some those early players, I guess, probably the similar ones that everyone got into. But other guys, you know, Helmuth, not so much. And so I definitely enjoyed back in the day, but unfortunately, uh, maybe not so much anymore.
0: Right. Right. Well, and uh, we'll take a, let's do a couple more here. I want to know um, before we're, we're coming up to two hours and I do appreciate the time. I've definitely learned a lot and, and feel, I hope everyone's enjoying. If you guys still want to ask a question, you have time to enter into the giveaway and maybe we'll get it. We'll get it off here. Um, tell me your favorite casino and favorite travel destination. Both.
1: Ah, uh, I would say it's uh, it's crown in Melbourne. But yeah. Aussie millions. Uh, amazing city. You know, probably my favorite city in the world. Uh, only place that i've ever really thought like if i would want to like move there and live there it's just too damn far away from everything so i can't do it but yeah absolutely love it there um and the casino is is great they run great great tournaments great events so yeah that's always been probably my favorite stop
0: very very cool gotta say i agree that's 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 great what about non-poker where do you like to go to unwind travel
1: travel wise um man i don't know i uh I mean, Australia, again, is actually my favorite place to go just to to hang out for vacation. But uh, yeah, I mean, love seeing different cities in Europe is always a great experience. Um, getting down to the beach is always a lot of fun, wherever that might be. Uh, and there's a lot of places I still want to go. You know, I haven't been to South America yet. I haven't been to, uh, you know, Africa, Southeast Asia very much. So there's, there's a lot of places on my list that I want to check out. And they're going to be uh, pushed back a little bit now. But I'm still uh, still planning to get there before too long.
0: Very cool. Um, just reading some more of these questions here, your playing style. If you were to describe yourself as a player, what would you, how would you describe yourself?
1: Well, now I try to be, you know, very, very balanced, I guess. That's, that's sort of what the the game theory strategy tries to teach you to be balanced. Certainly like back in the beginning when I learned, I started out with a very conservative style, um, you know, wanted to only take risks where I could fully sort of understand the consequences to it. Um, you know, and definitely have evolved a, a lot as a player over the years where I, I like to think I'm pretty balanced now and doing my best to, yeah, do it right.
0: <laughs> very, very, very cool. Um, let's see. We've got a couple more here and then we'll do this giveaway. Uh, BMW or Mercedes? What's, or, or what's your car? What's your brand? What's your what's your car brand you like? I'm not a
1: fancy car guy. Um, I would, I mean, I guess for whatever reason, I would say, I would say Audi in that Branch probably, but uh, I think though at, at some point, I'm probably gonna have to get one of these Teslas, but
0: I haven't made the leap yet. Mm, nice, yeah, that's a good, good, good up, uh, good choice. What let's uh let's go with let's leave it with this on a question What do you believe? Um, you know, poker, you're obviously a very intelligent guy, your family's ba- education based, your, your, your parents, you could have done a lot of things, you chose poker. Um, what do you believe has been the reason you've stayed in poker for so long? What, what do you think is the most fulfilling and, and beneficial thing that you get out of doing what you do? What do you love the most about being a professional poker player and that has kept you in this industry for so long?
1: Yeah, I think the the two things that I like the most about it, uh, first of all, is the freedom, you know, the ability to set your own schedule, to not have to, you know, have a boss, to not work nine to five, to, um, just you know, to be able to travel, to do all those things, that that's probably the number one thing uh, that I like the most. I do sometimes think that, you know, I, I might be more efficient working in a more structured setting sometimes. It can be a little bit of, a, of downside to that as well, um, especially for, I think, my personality type, which isn't as always as, uh, you know, self-motivated or whatever as, I, as a lot of people maybe could be. Um, can easily get distracted sometimes. But uh, the other thing for me is just, um, you know, being being towards the top of your profession, you know, being one of the best in the world as something that you do is, you know, it's something that really, really feels good. That really means a lot to me. And being able to compete against the best regularly, um, that is, yeah, that, that's special. That's not something that a lot of people get to do. So I, I really uh, appreciate that. I've been able to do that for for so many years and hope to you know, continue to do it for as long as I can.
0: Awesome, and well, I said last one, but I just thought of it a couple two more things. What quick ones. One, what do you think about Twitch? Do you watch Twitch ever? Do you like anyone on Twitch? Do you sometimes, if you're battling with some of the guys that played, you find yourself pulling it up and seeing what's going on? Uh, what's what's your thought on like Twitch, YouTube, the poker content currently that's happening, Poker Go, and and what where where the, the state of all that is now?
1: Yeah, uh, I love that stuff. Honestly, uh, I definitely I was. I've never. I haven't played many video games and stuff lately. I originally got into the Twitch stuff following um, a lot of like chess content. I've always mm-hmm. like I played a lot of chess growing up, and I'm not like a, a serious player for a long time now. But it's still something I've always kind of followed. And then um, yeah, like a few of like the better or the more popular chess streamers are these like Canadian guys that I've already was sort of fans of. So that's uh, something I watched a lot like for a little while on Twitch. And uh, yeah, all the poker stuff now. I definitely like pull up the streams whenever I can. It's honestly like playing like so many tables, you can't really pay too much attention to the yeah, streams boy. all the time. Like it's really hard, but you know, at the big final table, like in the W Cooper, whatever, like, yeah, I'd pull up the stream, especially where they show the whole cards and stuff on a delay. Like it's a lot of information that you really should be trying to take advantage of in terms of in game. And then, yeah, like just watching, it's a great study opportunity as well for people like not as easy to follow. Maybe, um to understand what people are thinking you're kind of stuck like left guessing a little bit like was this the right play or was this guy you know have some specific read or what was going on but it's, it's always very interesting whenever you get to watch strong players and see their cards and think about okay what are they up to why did they do this that's that's a great learning tool as well so i think it's been super valuable and i think just uh yeah like from an entertainment point of view you know we want to watch you jeff stream and uh you know just like support them and you know listen to them talk about the get the day entertaining and educational whatever you get out of it like great you know it's a great uh, great platform great content
0: yeah twitch is definitely it's awesome to see and i think it's more and more people are getting into it it's definitely i think helped the game overall and uh, with all the you know the other things that are sort of maybe negatives or people are worried about i think that type of uh, engagement content can only help and bring new people in uh last thing we're going to go to the, the, the giveaway guys so again get your question right now if you're here watching live so you're eligible you have the ears of Party Poker. You mention um, the other sites. Obviously, there's a several. You know, I think safe to say three majors. There's a few other options. Eight 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 ACR. There's some. There's some. You know, in the industry, let's just say those five sites. But Party Poker, we got. We got the. Uh, you know, we're doing Party Poker. It's they right. help sponsoring the podcast. Rob Young, we got Tom Waters, Vadim, Collette, Rachel, Neil, uh, Warren. We got we got the whole team that will listen. You are one of the more respected players. In the game one of the more successful players if you were speaking to party poker in a boardroom right now what would you give them as feedback on what you think they're doing well what they could do better uh, if for you yourself just like not only yourself but as a betterment of the game some some observations that you think might be might work you know software is it the this register one reentry? like what things do you like what things do you want to see maybe would be changed for party poker specifically
1: uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the main thing from my point of view, I like to say, is just, you know, run a few more, few more biggish tournaments, like not even like super high stakes, but like, let's, you know, get a few more like $500,000 tournaments in there with good guarantees all the time. Uh, you know, they, yeah, I'm not sure I really agree with their, their schedule of running like very few tournaments lately. Uh, I like the WPT stuff, but, uh, yeah, their schedule has been a little bit lighter, which, frankly has been fine for me because there's just been so much going on anyways that I still have plenty of tournaments to play. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I like that they're taking their ecosystem into account and thinking about the longevity of their games and all this. But, um, yeah, I think they're just the volume of like really good tournaments on their site could use a little bump. Um, and then overall, uh, there's a lot of little things. One thing with PKOs as well that I didn't describe. I think uh, you know the big thing about knockout tournaments is that you don't really want to late register, right? I mean, you see a lot of people do it. You see a lot of them people re-entering late. But when there's already so much money out of the prize pool in terms of bounties that have already been collected, you're really doing yourself a disservice to to jump in really late in those tournaments. So I guess the other thing, like with knockout tournaments, make sure they're not the first tournament of the day. You know, make sure they start a little bit later. You know, because if there's a knockout tournament that's an hour before I'd like to start playing and then I have to register it like an hour, hour and a half late, like that's really suboptimal, you know, like maybe an hour right. is fine, I'm, you know, like it's not a big deal. But if there's a knockout tournament that starts like two hours before I want to start playing, like if it was a freeze out, I would just late register and it's great. But if it's a knockout, then I just can't really play it really if I'm going to be coming in so late when, you know, half the field's knocked out or whatever. It's just not really like a sense of what be doing.
0: Right makes a lot of sense okay so that those are those are good i th- I can just speak on i know the schedule party had done a lot of stuff and now they're just like taking a slight breather with everything and i think they're you know you will see what you want to see in terms of uh higher stakes and, and more frequently but for sure i think that's good good uh good feedback. Um, and then actually I see one other question here. I keep, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm leading you on here, but favorite online MTT, what's your favorite one that's like maybe been around forever or currently, you know, up until the last month or two, what's one you just like won't miss that's like great value and you think it's good. Uh, I mean, the big one for
1: me right now is the, uh, the big 10 K on GG every Sunday, uh, two, it was 3 million guaranteed during the world series of poker. Now it's a 2 million guarantee. It's like a 200 entry 10 K every Sunday. Uh, you know, it's it's a big enough feel, big enough guarantee that it's not just all the usual faces, right? You get a lot of a lot of players who wouldn't normally play that high. Uh, great tournament, I've been frustrating tournament for me because I've been really deep in it three or four times now and never done better than eighth. But it's definitely one that I look forward to every week. Um, right. The other thing I was going to say about Party Poker is I thought I heard that um, they're moving the Bahamas schedule online. Do you know if that's uh,
0: that's correct? Or yep, that is going to be going on. So
1: that'll be cool. That'll be exciting for sure to have uh, some more big tournaments and big guarantees and all that stuff. I mean, nothing better. I will say, like the big events that Party runs online are are amazing. You know, like yeah. the big guarantees, like great fields, that stuff they really get right.
0: They do, and I, you know, they and they really Rob is focused. He wants to do the one re-entry max. He wants to keep it. Try to keep it fair. Try to do things that are. You know, in the best interest, of long term, because it is easy to get excited and you know sort of looking back like the full tilt days when they're doing the unlimited reentry and it was crazy and shit it just kind of got like felt like they were tapping it too too hard the uh, the well but um Anyway. Yeah. So with that being said, I appreciate that. I appreciate the time, the feedback. I definitely learned a lot. I hope you guys did as well. And if, you know, some questions, if you want to ask Mike uh, via Twitter, you know, he might, he can see them later. I think we covered a lot of them, but you know, guys, feel free to engage, ask and it can't hurt. And if he gets to it, that's great. But I hope you enjoyed and, and Mike uh, we're going to give away this $55 ticket. So on your um command we're going to let you roll that and hopefully someone can take the 55 into a dream we saw 100 into 600k from charlotte goodwin um recently so you never know maybe this will be worth 300 if you just do that math so you never know you never know when it's going to happen when you're going to spin it and you tell me when we're going to roll it let's hit it boom someone's got a 55 ticket we're going to message them and we're going to thank mike mike where can people follow you we got your twitter here um what other is that your main form of oh let's get the winner here so it's still loading wow loading it's is serious there's a lot of there's a lot of tweets mike this is a uh, lot of engagement this is like, uh, we're in tank I, I gotta see it bam i don't think they've won before oh no they have jamie he's a he's a multiple winner some guys have all the luck you know wow. it's a, uh uh it just happens right it's allowed you can win more than once um but yeah, give me uh, where can people follow along with your, your poker journey? You do blogs, you got your Twitter we have right here. What else can people follow along with you?
1: Yeah. The Twitter is the main thing. Definitely uh, the thing I use the most. Um, I did have a blog back in the day, but it's pretty, uh, it's pretty inactive right now. So yeah, Twitter is definitely the easiest way to, uh, shoot me a message or whatever. And, I'm not as crazy active about uh, updating everything that I'm up to, but uh, definitely if there's something really interesting going on, it'll, it'll turn up there for sure.
0: Well, listen, Mike, some of us got to win all the money in poker. Some of us have to be content. We got to know our thing. You know, I, I, I agree. You got You can't do it all. That's the truth. It's hard to, it's hard. I wish I could study a bit more um, or whatever. I think it's all, there's a pie, right? You got fiance's wives, kids, whatever it might be. People have so much stuff. And you know, I think that's, what's cool. It's like some people, you know, you got to know what you're good at. You got to know what you love, what what's passionate, and, and spend your time and do your best. And you know, I think, again, safe to say you're one of the top players in the world, uh, a great guy, and I root for you all the time. So thank you so much for being here. And I hope, uh, you know, we, we uh, cross paths on a live circuit soon, if not online. And, and you know, I'm going to beat you in a pot at some point this year. I got a feeling I'm going to win one hand at least. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah,
1: you're a guy, Jeff. I hope you win some pots eventually, but just – I'm going to keep trying to make sure they're not against me.
0: I understand. I get it. That's how that's how it has to work. So, all right. Well, Mike, uh, Sir Watts in the building, thank you so much. Podcast number 91, and we'll see you soon, man. Best of luck.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Have a good one.
0: All right, guys. That's Mike Watson. We got a podcast with Brad Gazan tomorrow. That's number 92, U.S. Men's National Team goalie, played in the Premier League eight years, teammate of mine at University of South Carolina. Can't wait to catch up with him. And we have Naza14 who pipped. Mr. Watson in the, uh, leaderboard for the overall, sorry, Mike had to bring him on this week. We had to get the number one and two, uh, this, this week. And, um, you know, that's it. We'll see, we'll see for more podcasts and I hope you tune into some and then we'll catch up with you later. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with party poker, go to Partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.